do that as a radio play. What, Night of the Living Dead? Yeah. I would do that. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Yep. <laughs> my dad used to follow my mom around the house in the middle of the night, uh, walking like a zombie because her middle name is Barbara. So he would walk around the house saying they're coming to get you, Barbara, and like terrorize her. <laughs> we uh, we dressed up as zombies one night and drove up to a cabin in the woods to scare Jocelyn for her birthday. Jill's nice. sister, Jocelyn. Oh my god. Her birthday is October thirtieth. She Perfect. must have loved that. She was. Less impressed with us than we were impressed with ourselves. <laughs> like, we went I... to the nines, too, right? Like, full-on zombie costume, makeup, the whole, you know. Right. <laughs> we had, like, four zombies and a werewolf. I don't know why we had a werewolf, but we did. You should. You should have a werewolf. Are we recording? Because this is gold. Uh, we should be, yeah. We should be. Uh, I did something similar. I, one year for some Halloween party, had bought up a whole... Uh, Grim Reaper cloak, bought a full skull mask and a scythe and the whole jazz. And a friend of mine's sister's birthday was now, it was like February, and she hadn't seen this. He lived in a condo basically in the woods at the bottom of a hill in the dark. So I was going to go out to their house. She was babysitting her older brother's little boy, who's now like 33 years old. That's how long ago this was. And so I took her other sister and let's let's have some fun with Michelle. So I brought pizza and and her her gift. Awesome. And got all decked out in the car and I was skinnier then than I am now. So I was <laughs> really long and lean. Huh. Walked up to the door. <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> Who is it? I'm standing under the one light in the entire complex that works. <laughs> she opens the door and loses her crap completely. <laughs> Screams and yells. The little two-year-old kid goes running down the hallway like E.T. with the arms up. <laughs> uh, her friend she's babysitting with runs with him. She runs at me and starts punching me in the chest. <laughs> it's like... And I just keep advancing slowly into the room. Her sister's behind me laughing hysterically. She's literally on the ground. Oh, man. It's like, uh, if only there was GoPro back 30-odd years ago. All right. That's going to be the way that we're going to roll into this episode. I'm going to leave that whole story for the beginning. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three of the Top Shelf Comic Book Club podcast. My name is Steve Say, and this evening I'm joined by Mr. Bob Ryer. Ooh, scary kids. Melissa Megan. Hello. <laughs> and Bronwyn Kelly. Hiya. <laughs> so uh, it's been a little bit, but we promised you uh, a show a month, and we are back. We, we made good. Yeah. We made good on that promise. As long as we say month and not a number of days or weeks, it's more nebulous. Yeah. Exactly. Making, making <laughs> a, making a, a, choosing the, the book ahead of time, I think, really helped. And you, uh, you're actually up next. Yes, and of course I keep, I've changed my mind three times. All right, well you can tell you can surprise us at the end of the show. Yes, I will. Uh, we'll tell you what our next book is going to be. But tonight, our book is the Clean Room, written by Gail Simone, art by John Davis Hunt, colors by Quentin Winter and John Davis Hunt, and it is published by Vertigo, 2016. And uh, we're going to do something a little different. This uh, little little Halloween treat for y'all. Uh, 
we're going to move around as far as people who are going to host the show and kind of put out the questions. And so we thought whoever chooses the book gets to host the show. So yeah, whether you like it or not. Yeah, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so as and we uh, do. <laughs> as Ms. Bronwyn was the one to choose Gail Simone's clean room, she will be your hostess for this evening. With the most evening, day, afternoon, whenever the hell. I always I always assume that everybody's just listening to this when we're doing it. They're not actually going to download it and listen to, uh, in their car, but hopefully you do. <laughs> I, I agree okay. with you. It always seems as if everyone's live. Well, it's because it's, you know, it's dark. We're in the zone. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> we record at night. You must clearly be listening at night. Well, uh, yeah, see, now, uh, just to digress, because I digress a lot. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Melissa's... Sirens of Scream podcast, they did a wonderful Halloween scary movie recommendation, 31 days of horror movies, one for each day. Nice. nice. I I had to wait for the temperature to drop. I wanted to be a little, <laughs> right, I wanted to be a little chilly, I wanted to seem like fall, a little dark on a Saturday night. You know, on a sunny Saturday afternoon, the <laughs> It's true. In, in you the need it to chill, be a little bit moody. Yeah. And it, it's, well, it so helps. Bob, if you were on social media, you can make it even better by we we've been we've been releasing each week. we didn't put in the show notes, so you have to either listen to the show or we've been releasing them every day on the correct day oh. on Twitter and Facebook, so you could wait until after dark and then get your movie recommendation each night. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll have to send them to me by email or carrier pigeon or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send a raven. Okay, a, a very raven good would be lovely. Of mine. Uh, her dad actually races carrier pigeons, so you does know, he win? I would hope so. Yeah, Nick, can I yeah. borrow one? Yeah. Like, communicate <laughs> Seriously, with Bob? right? Yeah. I love it. Races carrier <laughs> pigeons. Yeah. How did I not know this? I don't know. I didn't know it till recently too. There's an awesome video of her releasing the pigeons. That's it's so amazing. cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the anyway. stuff you learn. See. I know, right? All right. Well, to get us back. Uh, on a little bit of a directional note, let's start with a synopsis, shall we? Yowza. All right, so we are going to talk tonight about Clean Room, Volume 1. Uh, I'm sure there are people out there who are a little further ahead, but we're going to stick to Volume 1, Immaculate Conception. Um, the synopsis for the evening. Our protagonist, Chloe Pierce, at rock bottom after the catastrophic trifecta of the suicide of her fiancé, the presumptive miscarriage of her baby, and the subsequent forfeit of her own will to live, an attempted suicide, is left with nothing to motivate her other than a desperate quest for answers. Her fiancé, Peter, was driven to suicide by his sudden and obsessive involvement in the Honest World Foundation and its mysterious founder, Astrid Mueller, which gives Chloe a place to start digging. Chloe, focused only on uncovering the truth about Astrid and her manipulative organization, vows to expose the secrets of the Foundation and its clean room, and Astrid herself. The deeper she digs, though, the stranger the secrets get. Ba-ba-bum! That's amazing. I feel like I'm about to hear an audiobook of this. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Just keep reading the whole thing. I'm listening. (laughs) Page one, panel one. I would love to do an audiobook of Oh my goodness. It's so exciting, especially after reading the script of that. That was really the thing that sold me on this book. Like I've been absolutely dying to do this book since I read the first script. And I think that's really what got me into it. So, Uh, so you got to meet Ms. Simone at a show and did you get to, Oh, I did. And in fact, she actually signed my script for me. She said to Bronwyn, 
Gail Simone. Sorry for the potential nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely so. That's awesome. Of which there have been many, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. I may or may not be a little bit of a of a uh, an easy mark for this stuff, but I love I've, it uh, anyway. <laughs> I've read this through. Uh, today was my third time going through the book. And that first time that I read it, I totally copped to it freaking me out. I didn't have nightmares, but I was up. I was up for a while after I had put it down. And I read it really late at night, too. I mean, I'm a night owl, so it's like I put it down. That was one of, the, one of those, like, 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. nights for me because I just I had to go and do something else before I went to bed on that. Yeah. See, I've had nightmares of some of the damaged characters. We'll get into generals and then specifics as we go, but there are people who you're seeing in not the best light, mm. and it's, oh, I, you know, look, we all have to die. Whoa. But, right, well, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, just, right it's just the way it works, you know, look, and as I'm someone... such an optim optimist, I love hey, it. Hey, 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 <laughs> you know, I've lived more of my life than I'm now going to live, let's be honest, and so seeing people who have basically been... I don't know, chopped in half, <laughs> shot to pieces, had organs removed. It's, you know, not well, not pleasant. Let's stick with general impressions. Okay. How about we stick with spoiler-free for the mm -hmm. most part right now? Let's not talk about how we're going to die soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody gets out alive. Let's be Exactly. <laughs> exactly. See, Bronwyn gets it. You... <laughs> All right. All right, Melissa, what were your, your general impressions of the book? Did you say me? I did. Oh, sorry. You cut out for a second. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Let's see. I, okay. I wrote a fancy sentence for you. Two I like sentences. It. Um, I thought it was a, it's a multi-layered, terrifying murder mystery in hell. Wow. Full of heartbreak on top of malicious brutality on top of the most intense flavor of revenge therapy ever created and sold in a pretty pink package wow that's i'm not that's following that review. i'm not following that steve you have to go next oh no <laughs> take that I, <laughs> mic yeah, drop i will take that that was brilliant oh. Kudos. melissa come on steve what you got why <laughs> why are you doing this to me she's doing a dance did you see that no, she, she's no. just dancing i think I think the dance needs to be appreciated. I think there may even be a slow clap. Well, yeah. that's the thing. They, the people <laughs> listening to this can't see the dance, but I will describe something to you that happened. When Melissa finished the first sentence, her <laughs> eyes went really wide, and they were very maniacal. Like, she she, <laughs> she totally did this on purpose to, to mess me up, and now I got to I didn't know you that. were going to go after me. Come on. <laughs> I'll go next. I'll go next. It's take all a, part take of the a plan. Are we, are, are we ready? Look, we are. We're ready. Look, I'm a huge fan of Gail Simone, as everyone knows. I've ever read Batgirl and the movement, everything she's done, basically. And this was much different than I thought in some ways, but it was still the deliciously creepy treat I thought it was in, in, in most ways. So that she both met expectation, expectations and exceeded them tremendously. We've got, as usual with her work, brilliant dialogue and characterizations. And melded with John Davis Hunt's art, which is a very clean style, no pun intended. <laughs> but that style <laughs> so amplifies the horrific nature of some of the things that happen that it now, we all love people like Francesco Francavilla, hey. who, who do gritty. 
<laughs> but in, in this situation, that it's sterile and pristine and all this stuff is going on, just incredible. Uh, it, it's a satire, certainly, at, at some level of the self-help gurus at Scientology and Tony Robbins and so on. But it's so much more than that. I'm sure she sat around and said, oh, I, this could be fun and wicked and just took it somewhere else. Mysteries upon mysteries, just as, as Melissa's saying, wonderful flashback structure so you can, we can keep filling mm -hmm. in stories as we go. A completely beautiful, well-rounded and awful story all at once. Just loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And to you, Steve? So, in the interest of honesty... I'm gonna cool. be. I'm gonna be honest. Okay. okay. I have. I like. I said. I've read this three times now. I have more questions <laughs> than I have answers as to Good what's going you. on, and that that is actually one of my favorite things because it's not a I'm lost and I can't I can't play with this until I'm able to read the rest of it, and by able to, I just mean purchase. Mm -hmm. But um. <laughs> You know, I, I sometimes I like reading something that causes me to spin off with my own theories. Like I have answers to some of the questions tonight that I hope bring some really weird stuff uh, to the table. Uh, you know, I have a tendency to pick apart things and maybe find things that aren't necessarily supposed to be there. But, you know, you make of, of art what you will. So... Um, I love kind of the dig, like the reverse dig on the Twilight culture that is not necessarily focusing down on the fans of that culture, but rather the people that actually produce that material, like within that Twilight uh, genre. If It's not a genre, right? Was it teen? YA horror fantasy. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Twilight. Um, I like that it reminds me of other things that I really like, uh, such as Andrew Foley and Fiona Staples, uh, their book called Done to Death, which is about the um, like a, twi a Twilight-style author who then employs a real vampire to help her make the next step in her oh. career, and it winds up going weird and everything. Uh, he was actually our first guest for Talking Comics podcast. Wow. It was Andrew Foley. Uh, I love the characters, like all the characters that we were introduced to and got to spend time with. I found them interesting. We get like maybe two scenes worth uh, of a character that comes along kind of later in the book. And her role is just so striking and so vicious and mysterious all at the same time. And and hearing like that we'll get into it later but there's um this whole ranking system uh that's applied to chess pieces and where characters lie in the ordering of the most valuable pieces and and the roles that they play and stuff like that i really loved digging into that and kind of uh fiddling around and uh the art the art is is gorgeous and terrible and wholly appropriate for for the book uh it reminds me a lot of like Cronenbergian, like body horror stuff. Um, the kind of shit you'd see in the back of a taxi cab in Jacob's Ladder <laughs> and stuff like that. And uh, I'll tell you, like, I books, books don't get under my skin all that much. Like, I read Harrow County, and Harrow County creeps me out. Like, the first, especially the first arc of that book, man, woof. But, um, <laughs> like, after I've spent time somewhere or I've read something again and again, I'm not as affected by, like, 
the scare has already happened and you're just going through that scare again and you're like, all right, well, I know that you're going to jump out from behind the thing. So, you know, oh, hey, there you are doing your little. So in reading The Clean Room over and over again, like I'm still freaked out by it. It still unnerves me. And like you had said, Bob, there's something in how it is supposed to be a clean, like it is a clean room. And you know that there's not anything in there that all these, these manifestations and these things that happen, happen or whatever. But that atmosphere and that tone of surroundings creeps me out even more than if they were in like some kind of dingy otherworldly place. Um, But like I said, more questions and answers, but that's probably my favorite thing about uh, the book. And I'll get into more of that as we go into uh, questions and spoiler territory. But uh, Bronwyn, what say you? Well, I think I, I think uh, uh, for me, I, the devil's in the details. I uh, I really one of my favorite things is that like the two sort of leading ladies of this. The main thing that connects them is they're very detail oriented. Um, and as someone who sciences for a living, I, I get it being a detail oriented lady. Yeah. <laughs> So I may over relate a little. A <laughs> little bit? Come on. Uh, I was honest before. You should be too. <laughs> yeah, okay. So yeah, I over relate. <laughs> uh, and on that note, I'm going to just give a little shout out to John Davis Hunt for uh, researching the clinical environments. And uh, you, sir, are awesome. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> I really, really appreciated the art on the clinical environment and the sterility that was there. And there are any number of uh, shows and books and things like that out there that uh, don't do even remotely the level of justice mm-hmm. that Clean Room did. So kudos are in order. I, I agree with Steve about the questions. Yeah, so do I. I. Was, I was going through your uh, your show question, the show note questions to prepare for this. And a couple of them, I was like, I, I'm, I'm like, the hell with it. I'm just going to say I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and those are some of the questions I was writing is because I don't I don't know the answer. And I do. I love that. And that's one of the things is the story is so compelling. Like uh, this is very much setting up the board to have two queens playing. But the thing that I love is at the end of this story, at the end of this arc, I don't know if they're playing together or against one another. I can't tell. And I love that. I mean, how I don't think they how, know yet, right? Right? And how frequently do you ever get to say that? You never get to say that. That's not something that happens. <laughs> I'm sorry, but Dubsy just like flew out from behind you. <laughs> I, like, oh. I know. <laughs> sorry, buddy. All right. And I'm out of here. That is my cat in the background and uh he he's responding to Steve because he can hear him, but he can't see him and <laughs> <laughs> now he's angry. Yeah, so he's going to spend the next couple of hours mad at me because he can't find Steve. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I'm, I think Gail knows where this is going. But the way the story is presented, it's as if she doesn't. It's as if it's being made up as she goes. And that jazz element to it is so enticing. Because you're as, as, particularly, there are these twists and... I've read ahead. I've been buying monthly, and I'm going to be, be very careful not to leak any information that you don't need to know How yet. many issues have you read? Me All too. 12. Oh. oh not yeah. cool, guys. Right. No, I, I was on <laughs> it from day one. I yeah. was talking about on Talking Comics with the first issue. 
No, I know. I'm just... Me too. I was ahead before we decided to do this book. Yeah. So. <laughs> there are so many lovely twists and turns that you can't see coming. And it's page to page and panel to panel. And that's very, very, I need to keep reading. You've got yeah. me hooked. It's so compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love, and I love the level of detail in the themes that are present. You know, things like the chess metaphor, things like the cracked teacup. Mm-hmm. It's such a tiny little detail, but it's there over and over. If you keep looking for it, it's in the background. It's it's in the devils in the details. They're there if you're looking. But has anyone seen, I know they redid the show fairly recently for, I think, A&E with Jim Caviezel, but back in the 60s, there was a show called The Prisoner. Yeah. With Patrick McGowan and yeah. this village and have a nice day and all the rest of it. At some level, this has that feel to me. Interesting. You're in this odd environment that you're not sure exactly what anything means or who's really in charge or who are the good guys and the bad guys. And there was an entire episode of that show. I bring this up in relation to the chess thing where they were playing, you know, giant live people chessboard. <coughs> and I have that feeling here. All I can think of with the live people chessboard is history of the world part one. Okay. <laughs> Not a bad thing. It's good to be the king. Yeah. A little, a little less puppy skirts. <laughs> that movie. I love that movie so much. All right. All right. Do we want to get a little bit more in depth? Yeah. I think that we should, for the questions that we have laid out, that you have laid out for us, uh, I think we should move into spoiler territory. We're kind of done with general reactions. And uh, It's a good book, people. You should be reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any, any final thoughts before we jump into spoilers? Yeah. From here on in. Okay. Yes. Folks? From here on in, here there be monsters. Yes. Nice. Abandon ye hope all who enter here. Yes. All right. Scientologists uh, don't take it personal. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We'll have to level up to all listen right. to this show. Yeah, I'm going to go get you another beer so that oh, you can okay. do that. But uh, please, feel free to start. Okay. Well, Bob, while you're waiting for your libation. Oh, I need one of those. Go. <laughs> what do you think of Astrid? Do you oh. think she was targeted as a child on purpose? And did you do you think she saw the monsters before she was struck by the car? Um, my opinion on both those things has changed, which is why ah. this book is so great. Initially, I thought it was just random, but not so much anymore. And I, I don't think she was seeing before. That, that didn't change. I, I believe it was that, even though there's a panel that shows a monster truck, I think that's a child's version of what a truck would be. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Early on in the series, for folks who don't know, uh, Astrid is run over not once but twice by a maniacal truck driver in the middle of, she just left church with her family. And she's holding her little teddy bear, Klaus, which is so tragic as he's there. And Astrid, you have another question later on that I'll get to, to something. I looked at Astrid early on as just this absolutely cold ice princess thing. I don't know how much in the camera we can see here, but I brought with me. Whoop. Hold, it, hold, mm-hmm. it back. hold it back. Has anyone seen Terminator, the Sarah Connors Chronicle? Yep. yep. Okay. It is, to me... Astrid Mueller is definitely Catherine Weaver 
as played by Shirley Manson in season two. The red hair, the power suit, the attitude, how she sits in a chair, how she does things. And I don't doubt that Gail Simone said to John Davis Hunt, I want Shirley Manson in this book. And when I saw her, it was, yes. And now I'm channeling that, and in that series, she is just this character. Can I actually inject for just a second? Please do. Because I actually saw... Gail Simone talk a little bit about Astrid in uh-huh. a, at, at Niagara Comic Con, and it's really funny because she originally directed Astrid to be a brunette because she's she's written so many redheads, and people uh-huh. have come back to her and said, "You write redheads all the time. It's always about the redheads." Yeah. She actually directed Astrid to be a brunette, but when she came back as a redhead, she Gail looked at the art and she was just like, "Oh frick! Like this yeah. art is so freaking perfect." Yeah. Ah, so it's there, there's nothing I can do. I guess I'm writing another redhead. <laughs> yeah, and boy, boy, does she write the crap out of her. It, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But no, that was all apparently Jonathan David Hunt. He did. David Hunt, sorry. He, he did a spectacular job. Astrid. It, it's it's hard to say this in this way. She's one of my favorite characters of the last few years, mm-hmm. and that's it. Warts and all. There's not a. There's no clear channel as to who she is yet, and that's that's twelve issues in. I'm six past you guys, well, not Melissa, and it's still not entirely clear. We get glimpses of who she is, and that's a, going back to these first six. Altruistic, completely opportunistic, evil, good, demon child. <laughs> what's what's going on? And that's what makes, you're saying, Steve, all those questions we all have. Where are we coming at this? Mm-hmm. And it keeps shifting. Uh, brilliant, brilliant character. Melissa, what do you think? Um, I don't think that she was able to see the monsters before the accident. I think she actually explains. I can't remember where it is in the book, but she references it at some point. Where I think she says when she woke up from her coma was the first time she saw the monster. Mm-hmm. I think she said uh, sitting on her father's shoulder. Shoulders or attached Snake, to her father's uh, shoulders. Snakes were coming out of yeah. why is his why face? Why are the snakes in daddy's yeah, head? That's it. Yeah. 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 Um, so I don't think that she could see them before. I'm. I don't feel like she was targeted, but that could change at any moment because, like we've said, the story. I feel like the story is got. There's a lot more to it that's to come, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, because this character is so interesting and so multi-layered, I think she's going to be kind of peeled open like an onion over time. <laughs> nice. Um, so, you know, I don't feel like she's targeted right now, but I might change my opinion on that later. Um, and like Bob, I have read ahead, so I still feel that way. <laughs> I, I'm, um, so, I'm saying nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, ah, spoilers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not typically spoiler phobic, but oh my goodness, I need to read this. Yes, you do. Yeah, well. It, it is, it's hard to go back and like, it is hard to go back and come up with opinions on these things when your opinion kind of, you know, is manipulated a little bit by what you see later. Um, as far as how I feel about Astrid, I feel, I feel a bit conflicted about her. I, I feel like I, I admire her and I also detest her at the same time. <laughs> um, she appears to have this strong disregard for the pain and trauma of others, which does not make her very likable. But she also commits herself entirely to the destruction of these creatures who are obviously a, a, some kind of a plague on humanity, which is kind of commendable. 
And she has an amazing sense of organization and leadership that I have a lot of respect for. Yeah. So like yep. she's getting shit done. And I, yeah, I like I like the way that she works, done. you know, yeah. she's like, yep. I need this, that and that right now. And I need that over there. And it's just like, all right, I if I could if I could have that kind of control in my work environment where I manage a team, I would be I'd be golden. Oh, yes. If you came into work in one of these clean room jumpsuits with your hair in a bun like that. I'm, I'm my, thinking my stylist would run out the door. They'd be like, no, <laughs> it's hard enough to get my team to wear lab coat and glasses. Like, <laughs> I think they're already no, and I say that and I say that <laughs> tongue firmly in cheek. My team are awesome and they always wear their PPE. Okay. <laughs> PPE. I don't know what that is, but it just sounds like protective PPE. <laughs> personal protective equipment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, Melissa. <laughs> gutter mind spent, over here listen no not gutter mind i spent all day with the four-year-old okay pp oh, yeah. <laughs> so, is just pp for me <laughs> and it's everywhere and we'll move on to steve steve what do you think of astrid <laughs> i'm trying to make melissa spit her wine out i um, love when you make steve follow me too come on steve yeah. follow my pp <laughs> i know <laughs> okay all right and- this, everyone, just so you know, is the moment I lost control entirely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I don't know what to make of Astrid after uh, these first six issues. I know that she's keeping stuff from us, and uh, I do appreciate, though, I like her assertiveness. Like, we kind of talk about the, like the Ice Queen uh, mm-hmm. vibe that she gives off, but it's – I don't get so much – it is Ice Queen, but it's also – business right like she she's on a mission to whatever it is she's doing in that clean room she's doing it with purpose and sometimes when you know what is the saying if you want to make an omelet you got to break, break some, some eggs, eggs. Yep. Yep. and i have a thing about these people you there's a question coming later about um like their status their celebrity and stuff like that and what does that mean for for astra is there is there a um is there a reason for that i think that there is uh so i think that she is a very intelligent person who has seen probably too much for one person to not come out on the other side being just changed you know if if you were to suddenly wake up one day and it was your reality to see like almost like alien like manifestations of people's worst, whether it be like their their private habits or or whatever the hell have you. Um, I'm getting a little bit off topic, mm-hmm. but so uh, uh, as far as was she targeted on purpose? So all of you guys are say, oh, or at least Bob and, and Melissa have said no. I I kind of feel like maybe she was. And I and Bob was saying what's, what's really throwing me now is you're saying about how the the truck when it was barreling toward her and it looks like that awesome monster mm-hmm. that that it is that it's just a young girl's imagination and now you have me wondering if that's the case and then Melissa's got me thinking about the bear and there's <laughs> Klaus, all these poor little Klaus I know and there's all these things going around in my head but for me I didn't even mention the bear you did I did. So, oh, sorry, Bob did. Um, treat, treat me like Hillary. Just blame everything on me. What? 
Oh. Why not? <laughs> to quote. Oh no. So, um, I felt like she had Moving a sight right along because there will be no debate shenanigans. No. I will be a much more successful moderator. <laughs> I'm sure you could have helped the other night. Um, I think that perhaps she did have the sight. Uh, before she was targeted, and maybe that's what makes her so dangerous, and that's why she was targeted at such a young age, that whatever those the entities are, that it kind of channeled itself down into that guy because he was in the right place at the right time to take her out. Um, so quite possibly she was a threat. And um, let me see, I have some other notes. I know or perhaps nothing. The was... I know nothing. All right. Um, and then also I had this, uh, this might be digging a little bit too much into it, but the, the entities when they're, when they're, at least when they're speaking to Chloe and perhaps with, with others too, uh, throughout the book, they're very, um, it's very sexual in nature. They, they, they talk about, you know, sexual acts and, and carnal desires and perhaps a little bit more hardcore X rated than some people are used to. So it's like, almost like the the most private of private or the people that have you know twisted they they, they get off on on twisted things not your not your conventional things right so um i'm sorry i'm just trying to read my my notes while i'm i'm talking here um well we have the, the character dwight who obviously is right. pretty twisted yes yeah piece so, of work so I said in my notes, I said, uh, perhaps uh, the entity that was responsible for hitting her uh, with the car gets off on that sort of thing. Uh, for every instance in which we interact with the entities, they appear to stress the victim's vulnerability or sexuality. Um, unfortunately, there are people uh, whose idea of a good time is hurting children. And perhaps that was the kind of thing that the, the I can't remember uh, the, the, his name. Jonas. Jonas. Okay, so so perhaps that was that that entity that was its thing, and Maybe. and found a willing host, perhaps. Yeah, yeah like I said, yeah. I'm 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 really digging it into it here, but that's part of what I really love about this book is that it allowed me to do that without spelling everything out for me. And those are usually my favorite types of books when you give me this really juicy concept that I can just run with. Yeah. Can I? Can I? I just addressed this, uh, the thing that Steve brought up about, like, the hardcore sex stuff that the language sure. that's coming out of the mouths of these creatures. Um, I feel like, to me, that's kind of a common um, portrayal of, like, demons, e- like, yep. evil demons when they're trying to get into people and yep. they're trying to, like, dig into them. Like, they did it a lot um, in The Exorcist. I was just about Absolutely. to say that, yeah. Remember when they, yeah. It reminded me Your of Your mother sells Reagan. socks that smell. <laughs> yeah. Well. Like, they... Sort of. it, I mean, it, it's kind of a common thing. I think they did it um, to an extent too in Outlast. If you guys have been reading Outlast, the comic or reading the show, I think they the demons get a, like say some nasty, raunchy stuff to mm-hmm. the people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's they're aiming for shock factor. Yeah, and a little further on in the book, there's an entire sequence. Ah, exorcism. Well, it's you yeah. know, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, human like humans, especially Americans more, more so, maybe. And others um we all have this kind of like puritan underlying thing of like you know when you start talking dirty and nasty like that it's like oh that just makes us feel evil and nasty and gross like you like it makes people feel like they're almost uh these demons are touching like um like i think what steve was trying to say like a more intimate secret part of you 
mm-hmm. than just you know just making you feel like a bad person but you're actually like that's which is can we just talk up. about how weird it is that that's the thing that makes people feel evil and not all of the crazy right. violence right yeah but anyway amen no that's um, perfect but Robin. it's the truth right like yeah yeah rip um, someone in me... half not a problem tie them into knots not a problem Say but one of those vagina. words, Say right? Yeah. Something about a vagina. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, no. about a vagina, and that's it. Um, <laughs> I, I think for me that Astrid is very, very compelling as a character, and I think it's really interesting that she manages to be so compelling, considering that in the six ep- um, episodes, <laughs> in yeah. the six um, first. Oh my God! I can't get the word episodes out of my head. issues. Issues <laughs> is good. <laughs> issues. Thank you. She's actually not featured as heavily as some of the other characters. Um, Ah. But she is just so brilliantly written that every moment you see her, every frame she's in, she kind of dominates. And she, she inhabits all the scenes she's not in just by her off-screen presence. It's true. And so she's brilliant as a movement leader because she is so charismatic. So she is that classic kind of image that you see or, or that you hear mm-hmm. described as a leader of one of these movements, right? So, but it's very difficult to actually successfully portray somebody like that. So this is a very successful character, like capturing mm-hmm. of that character, which is incredible, I think. And I, I really, really, really want to know more, more about how she sees the world, like actually see the world through her eyes a little bit. You hear kind of the periphery, about like sort of how like the world has changed how she's changed the world because of how she sees it you know how the honest world foundation has come up and how people are so committed to it and you know how how chloe's fiance has killed himself because he's been exposed to astrid's vision of the world so obviously she has a very powerful vision of the world but we don't actually get to see it so that's really compelling to me but i think the most outstanding thing about the whole first arc is that of all of the things we learn about Astrid and all of the things that are so compelling about her the thing that I don't know yet and it's just I've read this so many times now (laughs) and I'm really trying to find it and I've been really looking and really analyzing and really thinking about this and I still don't know it what is her motivation what is the thing that's driving her to do what she does you know, I see her success, I see her drive, I see her ability, I see, like, she's brilliant. She's a strategist, she's a manipulator, she is skilled and intelligent, she is a brilliant, brilliant observer of human nature. You know, she can take a look at a person and within a few minutes understand what motivates them. Yeah, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, with our next character, Chloe, and how that yes, plays in. exactly. Now, what, well, I'll just throw in something here, and I'm going to try very hard to not lean ahead too much. In her first line, almost, of dialogue, where, where Steve mentioned before, you know, why is daddy's head filled with snakes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that first moment of her new sight of the world is where her motivation lies. Where things are not the way she thought they were. 
yes, but I don't know how she feels about it. Oh, okay. well, I know she sees it, but I don't know how it's the root of whether it. she's good or bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like so, I I I see that she understands that, but I don't know what it how it motivates her. Well, we don't know in what direction it motivates her, but is it motivating her for the good or the ill? I mean, to me, it's almost one of these things where if you found out that these things exist and you were from such a young age that you grew up with them, you grew up seeing these things, I mean, you'd have to have, you'd have to acknowledge them in some way and, and maybe even would obsess with them that if you're somebody who sees these things and other people don't, that you need to figure out how they can never be more than what they are. Like if that, well, I, the, go ahead. I think, I'm sorry. I think that that leads us really well into the next question though, because I think there's some evidence in that first arc that Chloe also sees yes. the, these entities. Mm-hmm. And it, so that brings me to the next question and is what do we think of Chloe? You know, what makes her that special person? Did something equally traumatic trigger her vision of the entities? Like, was well, it yeah. yes. suicide? Well, Did Cl- you see them Chloe, beforehand? Well, Chloe's great quote is, I hit, I'll, I'll paraphrase, I hit the shite trifecta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lost my fiance, lost my baby, lost my will. You know, someone owes me it, when eventually she, she turns it around. But maybe that is the trigger. Well, Since we now have two people who've been triggered in possibly the same way. She also, like Astrid, has had a near-death experience. She goes into the water and practically drowns and has well, to she be... Did, she did drown, didn't she? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they said she was dead. She said she was dead once before. I, yes. I mean, this is maybe jumping ahead in questions and stuff like that, but I have a, a thing where I think the near-death experiences really play a lot into who's even like the the ranking system that I mentioned earlier with the chess pieces, mm-hmm. that you have to have had some... your con- The connections to these things are different. The people in the booth that are watching the clean room see things differently than what they actually see inside the clean room. You know, the... Actually, wait, it might not work like that for one of the dudes that comes later. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going to hush now and let somebody else talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting lost in my own mind coming up with new theories. But that, this is book a book is good that, for that. Right, yeah. exactly. And, and we, we, exactly. the clean room itself. Well, right. All right, real, real quick. Um, I had this thing, this other thing, where um, we're talking about, like, uh, did something equally traumatic happen to uh, Chloe to, to trigger the visions of the entities? I also thought that maybe, and this is a little loose, but it might have something to do with Philip, that perhaps there's some kind of, like, subliminal seed that's planted in the reader of Astra's material as like everyone is a potential uh, and maybe even quite possibly can be transferred from host to host, be it uh, through sexual contact or intimacy or whatever. Very Cronenberg right there. Very Cronenberg, but also um, very in the mouth of madness or Astrid Mueller is another version of Sutter Kane. Oh, who is watch that again, channeling right? yeah. the? I, I watched nice. it like two weeks ago. Like the Lovecraftian stuff is whispering to him from the other side, telling him what to write, and then getting his readers to obsess and lose their minds and stuff like that. What if Astrid Mueller is being has been like given the ability to reach her readers as like potentials for the the rooks and the knights and the queens and all that? Because Philip didn't make out very well reading her book. Right, he was obsessed within a day. Right. 
twisted within what a week and then dead within two months. Right. But like, but what if you what if you could transfer the makings of what happens to all these people, you know, through was it osmosis? I guess it would mm-hmm. be. Um, but then something like that, people that are in close proximity, that is transferable in some way. I think it's more like I said. I think it's a stretch. I no, think it's more. But also could be the sort of the gestalt, the collective mm-hmm. consciousness. Again, yeah. A tribute to how good the the writing mm-hmm. and the art of the book is, because Incredible. these are the kind of wild ideas that I'm coming up with that are probably not even the case, but they're fun to play with anyway. And and they could be. We and they may, could be. You may find out in 12 or 18 or however long this book runs, mm-hmm. and it should run forever. Oh my God, forever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you could argue that Chloe's experience um, at some level is more traumatic than Astrid. Yeah. Um, children handle trauma really well, much better than adults do, um, and recover from trauma a lot better. And for Chloe, you know, she obviously she had her fiance blow his brains out, and then she lost her baby. Um, she obviously had a, a close friend of theirs, whoever the homeless guy was, who had a serious Mikey. Yeah, but it's serious um, substance abuse issue and mm-hmm. was out on the streets for some reason. Um, and then she tried to kill herself. Like she had just one thing after another. She lost her career. She lost everything all at once, um, which, you know, if traumatic experience is what throws you into the the visibility plane of seeing these creatures. And she she definitely meets that qualification yes. with, with stripes. Absolutely. But um I also think that she's, you know, classically in these kind of stories, the person who's got nothing to lose is the biggest threat. So she definitely brings something to the table with that because Astrid has taken a lot of time and a lot of patience to build this, you know, empire that she has around her where Chloe comes right in to the story with just nothing to lose. And she's, you know, she just doesn't care anymore. She's like, I'm just going to get what I need and I've got nothing else to give and I don't care if I'm alive or dead anymore. So it doesn't matter. Um, and she has the drive of avenging her fiance behind her. So she definitely, sorry, can I touch on that? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think you just described it kind of perfectly though. When you said, because she has nothing left to lose and she comes into this, she just doesn't care anymore. Right. It's exactly that. And I've, I found that for me, that was one of the most interesting things about Chloe was that her emotional reactions seemed almost muted to everything. Like she's, you know, she goes and she sees Mikey and he's a friend of theirs, you know, definitely seemed like to be quite a close friend of Phillips and she's bringing him stuff. And, you know, she's she's connected, you know, she's connected to him. She's connected to the Haverland brothers. She's connected. She cares about her, her job, her career, but all of that seems to be kind of, removed by one step it's a little Mm -hmm. bit muted and you can understand that because she's been through so much trauma and she's been through so much that she just she can't get all the way there Mm -hmm. well those emotions are usually driven by fear right like fear of losing something fear of being abandoned she's got no fear left she doesn't have any of that at all right but then all of a sudden she goes in and she's meeting with astrid and she's in the clean room and they see that manifestation you know, with that creepy, creepy dude and the slashing of the yep. angel eyes and the, you know, realization that he has abused these children and probably killed them. And, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, she, and when Astrid lets him go, Chloe loses her shit entirely. And just this is the over the top reaction we have not seen from Chloe at all. Like it's completely out of line with any reaction we've seen from her 
regardless, we've seen her, you know, hallucinate the half shot off head of her husband, which can I just say? Not yes. pretty. I did not enjoy that. That was not okay for me. So, you know, again, kudos on the art. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this was the most extreme reaction we've seen from her. The only person she seems to react to with any real degree of depth is Astrid. Right. Well, I, I think what it is, she's suppressed all those other feelings and it directed them inwardly, which is why she decided to try to take her own life after all the losses she had. And that no fear aspect of it, I think Astrid sees too. Mm-hmm. That Now, because remember, she shows up to try to interview Astrid. It isn't going to get in there. She gets to see Killian. And she knows because of the scent of the perfume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. what's going on in the room. She's like a detective. Right. I, I, right. I, and, and then Astrid shows up with her various rooks, and perhaps we should talk. Because Astrid sees, I think, a kindred spirit, someone who's had her own tragedy. This, and she, because Astrid, as you're saying about devil in the details, Astrid knows everything about everyone, which is how they can manipulate mm-hmm. the world around people they mm-hmm. need to do things for and against which will play itself out as the issues move forward through the first six and then the next six as well. I'm wondering if it's uh, like a keep your friends close, but your enemies closer kind of situation. Like rarely do queens, two queens on a chessboard team up, right? They're always usually on, on opposite ends of the board. Ah, here's the thing, though. At, at the end game, when you can level up your pawn at the other side of the board, you yeah. can make as many queens as you want. No. And since she has a board with extra rooks, which are you know, which she describes as what weasors, yeah, that can yeah. only move Wizzers, one at a time. Yeah. Right. It's the, the the metaphors are hot and heavy. So yeah. you're you're right, generally, Steve. But I think mm-hmm. Esther is looking very deep down the road. To well, think about it. Need. If somebody that is that powerful, that all these other people that you've had with you in your organization and are part of your quote unquote family. You trust them with all these things, but then this complete and total stranger comes in and you realize their potential, that they do have the potential to be a queen as a, as a player in this, you know, this grand scheme of whatever's going on, that because she has nothing to lose, that she is a threat. She is powerful yeah. enough to be the full on queen. Right. Like, I, like Astrid worked and worked and and suffered these visions and built all the stuff for so long in her life. Yet this person who just I'm just going to call it the site or who started yeah. seeing these things recently due to an event that happened with her fiance and stuff like that, that you've already gained access to all that I've built. And all you needed to do was was knock down the door to get in here. And now you're a part of this. I, well, speaking of, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just, I just want to oppose that with. I don't think that there's. I, I, to, in my um, interpretation of it, I saw Astrid much more interested in Chloe and wanting to bring her into the circle for some reason than she ever seemed threatened by her. I think that she, um, she immediately was reaching out to try to protect Chloe, mm-hmm. uh, um, like, and she, I think she sees Chloe as someone who's important. And I think that Astrid is too strong of a character to fall back into kind of a, a threatened sort of, you know, nervous state. I think that she's uh, maybe maybe to a fault, you know, maybe she's too cocky and she's too confident in her position to, to go that way. But no, I agree, though. I totally concur with that. I think that Astrid is I think that 
Bob had it right when he said that she's got her eye on the end game. And I think Astrid is always looking at the pieces on the board saying, where is my strength? Looking 40 pieces, 40 plays ahead. Where am I going to need this person? What role are they going to play? And just categorizing people the minute she sees them. Is this person a pawn? Get rid of them. Is this person a rook? Nurture them, Mm -hmm. but find that crack. Is this person a queen? Okay, then then now we have to figure out how to get this person on my side or into my, you know, into my organization or how, how am I going to make this happen? You know, she even says, I thought we maybe could be friends, you know? Oh, that's a great line too. I, I know. I love yeah. it. Now, it. But speaking of all of this, what I don't know if that was genuine. Think? I It doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. It's still a great line. Yeah. She, was, she was playing human. <laughs> exactly. Well, when it's followed up by some horrendous scenes of, of white monkeys, that line. Oh God, the monkeys! The monkeys! Oh, the monkeys! <laughs> Not cool, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm. We're leaving the monkeys. Oh, just even for a minute. Okay. I want to go back to the chess analogy. Okay. And how How do we feel about this chess analogy? I mean, clearly, it's it's something that's that's been a strong visual for all of us. Um, and and who who do you identify with on the the chessboard? <laughs> Bob, who do you think? I'd like to think I'm a rook, but I really think. You know, it's, it's to quote Blazing Saddles, Mongo just pawn in Game of Life. <laughs> so I'll go with that. <laughs> Steve, how about you? <laughs> All right. Here's the deal. I have never played a full game of chess. What? In my life. Me either. I don't know how to play. I don't really know what the pieces do, what they mean. Any Why of it. Life, but nobody I know plays chess. I'm willing to learn. I'm more than willing to learn. It's just going to take a while. You want to teach All me? All right. Sure. Bob's teaching All right, us Bob, chess. Bob's going to teach yeah. us chess. But here's the thing you asked me what piece I would be. Now, this is not me getting on my high horse. I actually pulled this from the old right. internet and I'm going to read it to you. All okay. Right. Yep. Steven, or Steven, the way that I spell it. Uh, as a ma- is a masculine first name derived from the Greek name Stephanos, in turn from the Greek word meaning wreath, crown, uh, or honor. So, I would say that if I was going to be a piece, I would be a king because my Stephen in some circles means king. Now, so clearly, he didn't look up what actually means on the, on chess the chessboard, because he is one of the most ineffectual pieces on the board. There we go. Though he is, oh. the, though he is the most important. Hey, but but you have Come a sparkly crown. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and the queen just had the queen who is the most powerful piece on the board. There you go, Broadway. Uh, the it queen was, can move in every direction at any number of squares she wants to. It was either that or a knight. Knights are good. I like knights. They have that crazy L move they do. I'll be a knight. I don't. I don't know if it's always good to be the king. A kniggit. Everybody's always trying to kill <laughs> As they you. Used to say in Monty Python. Sword of Damocles would suggest being the king is not always good. Yeah, I'll go with being a knight. Knight. Knight <laughs> is good. A kingly knight. There we are. A sire. How about you, Melissa? Who do you see yourself as? Well, like Steve, I've never played chess in my life. So, um, but I did a little bit of research and read about each of the pieces and. I might be completely misinterpreting this, but um, I chose from what I from what I could understand. Being a chess virgin, I I did my best. Like um, I think I would likely be a bishop, nice. because oh. from what I can understand in the way that they work, 
Uh, I would I work best kind of like hanging back and waiting for some kind of big strong move to make rather than being in the middle of all the chaos that's on the fray. Absolutely, that's that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I sit back, I sit back and observe and pounce when the time is right. So right in chess, there are there are bishops opening gambits, where you you just you you make openings on the board, so that the bishops can do huge slashing attacks once things have pulled into place. So you, yeah, you, you hit that perfectly. Every RPG I've ever played, I build some. I build my character to be completely silent and really good with a bow and arrow, so I can take everybody out <laughs> from far away and nobody sees me coming. That's that's my strategy for everything. It's a, it's a great awesome. one. You know, using I like it. using the chess analogy has has been in so many novels and and films. I know I'm going to mention Bergman's Seventh Seal, which people are going to know more about the chess game with death from Bill and Ted than from Ingmar Bergman. Uh, <laughs> But it it is that idea of how many moves ahead do you have to think? Chess is not even poker or checkers. It is, Bronwyn said, 40 moves ahead. People like Bobby Fischer were thinking that far ahead. And that at the center of this story is a character who has this endgame planned. Or at least it seems that way. It's just a wonderful way to set your story in place and using rooks and fairy pieces she describes upside down rooks naming her people we will you will eventually see her first rook yeah which is a pretty scary bit i have i love i have every faith in astrid i i uh i firmly believe she sees 40 moves ahead at least (laughs) oh yeah though she'll have some surprises as we move forward i kind of love her (laughs) but she is comfortable in that unlikability i think she knows where she is and what she projects yeah and those people who respond as chloe did with a little bit of iron in her spine yeah she she's gonna love she's gonna move forward definitely gonna respect i don't know that she's she i don't know that she has the emotional range to love she's really Um, intelligent in a lot of ways but she doesn't necessarily come across as an emotionally intelligent person um there are moments coming I will Excellent. not say anything past that. I look forward to it. Yeah. Um, okay, well, moving right along. Uh, what do we think about the entities? What are our theories? Who or what do we think they are? What kind of nightmare scenario is waiting for our queens? Oh. Bum, bum, bum. Steve, I'm throwing this one to you. Okay, so... <laughs> um. This is going towards the end of the book, so ye be warned. But uh, at one point, uh, one of the entities that's controlling Mr. Wee or Mr. Wei states, uh, oh, uh, oh, there's a whole section in the Library of Alexandria about that yeah. in regard to who these entities are. And what their name is, right? Yeah, what their mm-hmm. name is. Yes. That's what their name is. And I looked it up. And uh, the Library of Alexandria is actually in Egypt, and it's one of the most uh, significant libraries in the world that houses uh, like papyrus, ancient papyrus scrolls and texts from all over the place. And uh, I'm thinking that the entities are some form of ancient evil, uh, something that is possibly looking to wipe man off the planet by slowly driving them insane. Hmm. That's kind Melissa, of a how do you slow feel about burn. following Steve? Um, well, I I have a bunch of question marks in my answers. <laughs> <laughs> All um, right. 
It, I mean, it could be aliens. Um, I have this crazy theory that possibly they could be some piece of humanity that's kind of cast off or left floating. Ooh. Like like anger and rage and disgust kind of sitting in the background and waiting to recapture us in moments of weakness. Ooh. Um, that's a neat theory. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> no, I like that. Um, so, you know, um, it, it, even I'm even thinking, and this is kind of playing into Steve's idea when he said the... Um, the uh, uh, oh, shit, that word just popped out of my head. Um, you know, Cthulhu. Oh. Lovecraft. <laughs> Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Thank you. Uh, the the, the, the Lovecraft idea of this thing kind of being in her head, but um, I also thought, what if there's something that Astrid actually created, like when she had this experience in her coma? Like, what if this is something that came from Astrid or or was born out of out of her? Ooh. I wouldn't put it past her. She's very powerful, and she's mm-hmm. she has a very intimate connection with these things that no one else seems to have. Um, so, you know, I I think that I don't know. I think Chloe and Astrid are both eventually going to have to work together to battle this, unless Astrid turns out to be the baddie. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm interested to see which one of them will survive because I don't think it'll be both of them. Wow. See, for me, through six issues, I had six different ideas of where, <laughs> of where these characters were going. This is going to take a while. Right. No, no, I'm going to do this quickly. But once you start mentioning ancient libraries and that the library of Alexandria, which was burned to, to keep people safe in some horror stories from the old days, I, I, sometimes you want to think aliens. You want to go demons. Is this possession Biblical, Cthuloid, it's everywhere. I have the funny feeling, without spoiling anything coming before, and what I was just coming through from the first six, because that's what we have to talk about, I went ancient aliens. Spacemen from the past who then become the myth that we pull forward. I like it. Whoa. Like they're living here in 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 hiding. Yes, all the way through, right? I love it. It's definitely Stargate, very Egypt, very. No, that actually works because it kind of pulls everything in because they, you know, they've got the whole Library of Alexandria, mm-hmm. but they also, because Astrid also references the crash sites. Yes. So that's where sort of the oh, alien technology, kind of idea. right? It's where her technology right. comes from. Right. So I've got that kind of idea. And then there's also when asked what they are, because Chloe asks the surgeon, Mm -hmm. he turns around in that horribly creepy way, says we are inmates. Yeah. I haven't read enough Gail Simone to know this, but does she pull like this Greg Rucka thing of kind of like dropping seeds that don't mean anything to throw you off the path? Yes. Yes, that has been her. I feel like I feel like the alien nuggets have been kind of thrown in there almost a little obviously. Right. To give you this this idea really early on that these are aliens, it seems early in the story. Yeah, especially when the surgeon's like, "We could be aliens. I don't I know. Could be demons. Yeah, we you know. Well, <laughs> yeah, we, right? but maybe the, we could be thing, both." That kills me is like if if it's totally a nugget to throw us off. Where did they get the technology to build the cloudbuster? Oh, because that is that is a pretty sweet weapon. That's a pretty specific yeah. thing to say. And they actually have the Cloudbusters. Like so. And how does she know fantasy. where they live? How does she know where they live and nobody else does? Right? And so like she's how, one of them. How can they aim Oh, you know, oh, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. That's too important to just let fly past there. I know. Melissa? Like, is she? 
where she connected to them. So Wait, <gasps> that wasn't that wasn't the oh first six God. issues, right? Yo. I didn't just give something away. <laughs> she's yes. she is Supergirl and or Superman. Yeah. She's the baby. <laughs> That was shot down to Earth and lost uh, and yeah, from the Entity Planet. Yeah, I got it. Was targeted. I've got it. I've got it. Maybe she is one of them, and she's trying to. This whole thing is to her way of getting control of of the aliens. She's yeah. trying to. She's trying to wrap up her leadership of them yeah. by threatening them and right. pulling them in and control. Consolidate them. power. Hmm? Yeah. Yep. She's letting them know who she is. She's like, I'm the boss. <laughs> Gail's going to listen to this, and she's just going to be like, no, no, no. <laughs> All right. So I think... If Don't question... yell at me on Twitter, Gail. Don't do it. No. <laughs> we love you. Um, the next question was the big one, you know, is Astrid good, the good guy or the big bad? But I think we've all covered the fact that we the have answer, no the... idea. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's more to this. The, the answer right. is yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's true. The answer is yes. <laughs> I don't know. She's, that... a, she's a nasty woman, that's for sure. Oh, oh. hey, no oh. debates. I thought we were that's strike the two, Melissa. That's strike two. <laughs> Sorry. I may have called her that even before the debates, okay? All right. Have you still. heard that Janet Jackson's nasty has now become like one of the trending topics because people are like downloading? She made like over two hundred and fifty million dollars yeah. in the last <laughs> couple days or something like it's that. Like, it's like good job. Maybe good not two hundred fifty million. That's a lot of Power money. Never her. mind. Um, all right. So I'd but, like to go on a little bit and talk about the sex positive and gender positive aspects of this book okay. that I really really enjoy. Um, oh no! Are you we... know, I'd like to talk about. Okay, Chloe being super positive. Sorry, what? No, I, I was all ready to answer a different question. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Are we going to go back? Uh, the one, um, what do you think Astrid is trying to accomplish? But there was more to it. There was, uh, uh, she has her sky cannon, uh, but collecting celebrities, is that just uh. like... Yes, I'm sorry. I did skip Ron that. the boss tonight. She can go off script if she wants. No, no. I just... <laughs> She's our Astrid for the evening. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, how about I go back to that one, Steve? That would be cool. All right. Because I, right. I worked on some stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, for my beautiful fiance, we'll go back to that question. How's that? Sounds good. Fiance <laughs> likes that. So what do we think Astrid is trying to accomplish with her Honest World Foundation? She has the Sky Cannon we were talking about, but what about the collecting of celebrities? Is that just for the financial aspect, or is there something more sinister slash practical behind getting so many people behind and on board with her way of thinking? Okay. Steve, I feel like you have an answer for this question. I feel like I, I, I might have an idea, too. <laughs> All right, so the Sky Cannon, I, I feel, is obvious. It's a weapon to combat the entity's place of origin. But in regard to the celebrity thing, um, I think that the celebrity collecting is there for a couple of reasons. I think uh, money to fund the organization, the notoriety among the public of having these these public figures and actors and musicians and such, much like Scientology being kind of a living, breathing commercial for this cult and or organization. Um, you know, if the celebrities can do it, why can't I do it as well? People every day on the internet and, and elsewhere are always trying to emulate, you know, their, their celebrity heroes uh, and such. Uh, 
Also, the celebrities, they live in the public eye. So I think that maybe in some ways it's often that they hide the worst parts of themselves from others. Because if those parts were to be exposed, their careers and everything that follows them and all the art that they work on would be ruined. So quite possibly, maybe that makes them better hosts, more susceptible to the visions, etc. Um, each of the celebrities that we met had some uh, had something from their past that they would rather forget. And when examined, that was immediately what surfaced. The, like, the worst of the worst, their, their confessions and their crimes. And that was what the entities fed on to manifest themselves into the clean room. So... Oh. That's that's great. There you go. Yeah. All right. I like it. Now, if we're, if we should we should I guess mention Scientology since this at some. I was once offered a job, at the Church of Scientology in L.A. I turned it down. Well, good for you. <laughs> uh, look, Scientology like is choices. is banned. Sound choice. Sound choice. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's banned in Germany because they consider it a cult. Now, I get down. Right. They they kind of get that, but. The interesting, I'm not going to get into why people should or shouldn't be. I'm, I'm not there. In Scientology, my understanding is you need to separate yourself from the emotional attachments to negative things in your past. Where in Astrid's version of it, it's kind of the reverse. It's let's revisit these horrible moments mm-hmm. and try to find some connecting point which I think is healthier. I mean, to me, if you if you put your hand on a hot stove, there's a negative emotional connection to I burned my effing hand. I shouldn't yep. do that again. Yep. And in your emotional life where something bad happens, if you don't remember the pain that caused, you might revisit that. And so it's true. There's I, I, a reason for that. Right. I think I like Astrid's version of the whole this process a lot more, which may be why I respect her so much. <laughs> Indeed. It is certainly practical when she talks about why she leaves a crack in the teacup. Ah. We have a listener comment that references that as we move forward. The old <laughs> crack in the teacup. The old crack in the teacup. I love it. I can't wait. Such a, such a telling, <laughs> telling thing. Melissa, what do you think? Uh, my answer to this was pretty practical in that I think she's using the foundation to more or less collect and find the entities because the people she's bringing in under the guise of healing them and freeing them are obviously people that are very troubled ah. and searching for some way to get out from under whatever the baggage they're carrying. Um, so they're, they're, they're fragile. You know, they're people that are in a, a rough state, even if they don't appear to be so on the outside, they're obviously got some really bad stuff they're carrying around on the inside. Um, and she's able to uncover the entities through, through these people and fight them. Um, now what Steve said, I mean, my original answer was very much like the celebrities are looking are, are just for serious financial support because her lab does not look cheap. She obviously <laughs> has some big money into that place. Um, it's cerebro. And... <laughs> yes, it yeah, mean, I... mean cerebro. Right. <laughs> I imagine sky cannons are not cheap, you know, Um, but she, now that, you know, listening to Steve, I'm thinking it, the celebrity thing could also be one of those sort of hiding in plain sight things where, you know, the more high profile and well-known she is, the less likely people are to um, suspect her of something Uh, strange and kooky. Um, Love that. 
And yeah, but she has like the support of all of these really high profile right. famous people, you know. And she's it. high yeah. profile and she's high profile herself. Right. So and well I think known, she, yeah. she she buys their loyalty basically through blackmail because she chooses them because they have something to hide and she mm-hmm. holds that yeah. over them. Um, which is obvious in the whole scene with the hot tub, you know. It's like yeah. Yeah. We'll Guess what? You You're one of us now. Hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> Love you. Love it. Yeah, they don't really have uh, they don't really have a choice in that matter. Um, well, they do, but it doesn't it, it doesn't ever seem like they do once it's presented to them. Right, right. I mean, she seems to have referenced a few times that she's been hunting these things for a long time. Yes. You know, so she th- this and they show her like as young, where she seemed to be kind of a college student, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's working with this doctor, and yeah. it seems like her plan the entire time was to set up this foundation for the point of finding these things and and whatever it is that she wants to do with them yeah she, she makes always it, seems she to makes have it, the funding yeah well she makes a deal with dr hagen right yeah. well you you can look at these people naked like once a day and you know <laughs> you can make so me weird. a sky cannon <laughs> like, it, seems, it seems like it's in the right period of time that there would be online porn, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, it's interesting that if she has the technology uh-huh, to blast them out of the sky, then why not just do it? She's she's using it as a, you know, like a, like a hostage situation towards the end of the book where, like, I could pull the trigger right now and you'd have nothing but... to go back to. But that's the thing. What like what Brahman was saying earlier, what is her motivation that if your motivation was to find these things and get rid of them and you you have that and you're not doing it, then what is your plan? Well, we're, we're still dealing with the idea of Control the blue. Control fear. Right. And the blue utopians and who gets mm-hmm. to have the right cards to get to the right place. There may be an end game she's seeing we can't yet. Well, and that's my theory a little bit is I feel like there's definitely a layered approach with the with the whole collecting of celebrities as with everything Astrid does, you know, there's circles within circles, mm-hmm. right. You know, like the inner circle might be a growing army that she's got at her disposal, you know, but the outer circle of, you know, the actual sort of actors and, and high level celebrities, you know, they're for funding and for support yeah. and for cannon fodder, maybe. <laughs> right, yeah. Please join our movement because, well, this guy is in it. Right. Yep. <laughs> So I don't know. I feel like she's, yeah, she's definitely playing, playing this game on like six or seven different fronts at all times. The the celebrities definitely seem a little bit more disposable to her. Yeah, for sure. She wasn't, she wasn't interested in the, you know, that guy killing himself. She's kind of like, what? I don't, I don't want to deal with that right now. It didn't even make her radar. Like it barely made Killian's, you know? (laughs) And can I just say how much i love killian i was just yeah. about oh, to say yeah. that like, she is like the brienne of tarth for well she me. well she plays into our next question right Bronwyn? oh so much so much <laughs> can i yes because we have to go back to the sex positive and gender yes. positive aspect yep. of this. Like, sure. i just you know i love i love that for me um i just i particularly love that all of these things are presented and we'll go into detail about the different things that are presented, but I love that they're presented as a non-issue, you know, that they're, they come up, but it's never directly addressed. So they're normalized, you know? So, you know, one second Killian is threatening Chloe. The next second she's proposing very sloppy sex. I want (laughs) to, I want to F your legs off. Right. And just, (laughs) 
and then throwing money on the table and saying, yeah. try the ice cream and waffles. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> yes. I actually, there's, the, in my book, there's actually a little spot for that. Yeah. I showed Steve because he was having know, waffles before. Yeah. Is actually what just that happened. Was, that was hot. Come on. That was hot. Yeah. So hot. You know? Like, that, she shows up and beats the shit out of that guy. And yeah. then she's just like, hey, so let's do this thing. I don't have time. I get something else going on. Here's some money. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? No, what like, just happened? You know, because and that guy is denigrating Chloe, you know, he's he's attacking her in a sexual way. He's like trying to get he's like saying, you know, about how he'll get her to jack him off to pay for her gas, which they never actually address why her card didn't work. Was it actually? Oh, it's the, kill. No, you know, it's kill. It's, kill, it's killing an Astrid yeah. frilling her so that her card, right? they're going to destroy her life to make her come on board with them. That was what she assumed, but they never actually really clarified. Very true, but I'm I'm willing to take. <laughs> I'm willing Killian's to take word. what I've read beyond these issues no, <laughs> and apply it to this question. But they also never actually address what's happening in the restroom while she's in there, so that's just left as a little hanging thread. Well, but, uh, someone's hurt. Remember, we yeah, but crying out in the next stall. Supposed to be. <laughs> hmm. And then all of a sudden, that's just gone. Yeah. And Chloe, Chloe wasn't offended at all when Killian hit on her. You know, she was just like, uh, "Well, that's not really where I'm at right now." Yeah. But, but thanks. Yeah, okay. but she didn't what? even she didn't even get to say that. She just she's she, like, yeah. "Well, I the dot dot dot," and then that was it. Yeah. Yeah, but she just she didn't blink. She didn't. Yeah. She didn't freak out. She didn't. You know, and like, and then the next interaction they have is totally normal. You know, like it's just. There's no, there's no indication that this sexual tension that's obviously present, at least yeah. one-sidedly, um, if not both. And frankly, there was definitely something there. Um, yeah. I mean, if I could just put this out there, uh, obviously there's there's nothing written in stone that just because Chloe was engaged to Philip that she's strictly heterosexual, right? She could be bisexual and Killian maybe could sense that from her and is like, hey, yo. She no. is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, were, you, if you were before, you are now. Exactly, right? You know, or at least like, uh, okay. I mean, I've seen, I've seen Gail do it time and time again, um, particularly when she was writing Wonder Woman and when she wrote uh, The Movement. And she has this way of writing characters that feel like real people. And to that, like all kinds of people. And it's it's one of the most refreshing things about reading her work. And particularly in the way that John Davis Hunt, his art lends to like the sexuality of these characters and how attractive these characters are in the book. The idea of the clean room that everybody is very, you know, very kept and very clean, and it's all on purpose because Astrid demands order, you know, with within her her firm but, and everything. So it's sexual without being sexualized, right? Which is so perfect. Exactly, exactly. and you, that nails it, actually, Bob. I really like that the oh, way you, you said that because now. it is <laughs> sexual without being sexualized. There's a there is a lot of nudity in this book, but the art is beautiful and not ever. It never, ever made me feel uncomfortable no, in any way tasteful. that wasn't the horror aspect, you know, that was designed to make me feel uncomfortable. It was very beautiful. It was well presented. And um, you see Capone in the, yes, we haven't talked you know, about in, the, in the hot yet. tub. And the only thing 
that you the ever feel. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. But you know what? And she's beautiful. And she just looks beautiful. And it doesn't look unusual. It doesn't look like anything other than she has made this particular choice. You know, good for her, whatever. It's, yeah. you know, and it's just totally normalized. It's not anything that anyone comments on or says anything about or makes any, you know, any remark upon. She's just, she doesn't shave her armpits. They're not out of control. They're not, she's not an unattractive person. She's actually mm-hmm. quite the opposite. Yeah. She's, you know, and she's, that's all she needs exactly. to be. Yeah. yeah she she's, just is. She, she's chillingly attractive in a very manipulative and very, I think you're going to kill me if I don't tell you yeah. either, kind of way. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that woman in the hot tub would have been served well to mention her hairy armpits. Right? Exactly. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm just going to scrub your back because you want me to. Yes. Get the loofah out. And let's just go for it. Yeah. I, uh, Can you give me a little neck rub on back? Yeah. In that scene, I absolutely love uh, that panel of her where she's like, she's smiling while inside of the water, like she's halfway underneath, and yeah. you just see her teeth. She looks like a like a mad crocodile. Yes. Oh God. And when she just says, "Oh, that's glorious," you know, or "That's perfection," yeah. and you're just like, "Yes, it is." <laughs> I also like that uh, the person that she's speaking to is clothed in that. I guess she's wearing her her bra and underwear, but she's covering herself. I guess because she's she's wet and maybe it's see through at this point. And but vulnerable, she, right? Right, yeah. but she's yeah, covering she's herself. Really and meanwhile, Capone's just like like disrobing. She's like, "What up? Yep. You know, check it's out check out my yourself. cat tattoo." <laughs> Which point of reference is actually directly on her breast? Yes. Hello, friends. We'd like to take this time to pause in the podcast and just explain a little something to you. If the rest of the podcast seems a little bizarre, or maybe the continuity of it is strange, it is because of one very simple fact: technology is a fickle beast. And in the recording of this podcast, we lost probably half of the show uh, at one point because the internet was being wonky and things were hung up on and recorders were stopped and not started again properly. Therefore, therefore, we are going to... What the hell was that? (laughs) And the crowd goes wild. Keep going, keep going. All right. See, this is what happens. This is what happens when the flow gets broken. Anyway, uh, so here we are. We're meeting up two days later, trying to find the threads of the conversation that we were having. Uh, Our apologies for uh, the bizarre nature of the remainder of the show. But rather than just end it where it ended and just come up with some kind of an excuse, we wanted to meet again and have the rest of the discussion because it is a discussion worth having. And we didn't want you all to wind up with half of a show. So we've worked out some of the bugs in the future. Things will run a little bit smoother, we hope. But, uh, yeah, we're just going to keep going. And if if some jokes are lost, so be it. Um, but... The fact remains that uh, the rest of these questions are a lot of fun, and we're going to have fun talking about them. Bob, you have anything to add before we move forward? Well, in case we double up on something we said before you talked about, yeah. we, we're going to miss some jokes. We're going to double up on some. So if, if I particularly go back into something, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like and really the... what, we, uh, what the truth of the situation is is that we've been discussing this for two days, and Steve has decided you know, somewhat judiciously that perhaps – that's a little bit long for 
a podcast and maybe we need to cut it down. So the middle part of this conversation is, you know, 48 hours long and we just we, we cut it out a little. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So without further ado, I'm going to pass the reins over to Bronwyn and she will uh, take us through the remainder of the show. Bronwyn, if you please. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to introduce the question and then I'm going to pass it right on over to Melissa because this one is actually one of hers. Um, so Gail Simona has said more than once that zealotry is the death of conscience. And I know that this is one of your favorite quotes, Melissa. So uh, why don't you take us into this conversation? Um, well, I was just interested. I'd offered up this quote. Um, I read it in a, an interview with Gail Simone. I'm sorry, I did not write down where the interview was. Bad. Bad note taking. Um, I was just interested in in uh, in how you guys think that this concept is seen in the clean room and with which characters. Since this was this was, I believe it was her response to a question about whether it was based on her ideas were based on specifically Scientology or another similar group, um, and rather than pointing the finger at one particular group, she had said it was based more on the idea of groups like that and her, her, and that's where that quote came out of zealotry is the death of conscience. Um, so yeah, I had proposed this question cause I was interested in, in where you guys thought that you could see this in the book. Bob. Well, here's the thing <laughs> as, as a non-religious person, I'll just leave it at that. I've been a, it, it's an oxymoron to say I'm a practicing atheist, but that is, that is what I, how I describe myself. <laughs> I think the idea of zealotry can be seen in any sort of extremist organization mm -hmm. that includes religions, that includes what we hear in the states, state militias that aren't really state militias. It's the the fringes of both the pro and pro choice, pro life and pro choice aspects of things, where you you can get so far as to say, guys, that you're too much out there. The, the lack of conscience is then it's the lack of conscience compromise thoughtfulness about what someone else's position could be taken honestly. So for me, with, within this particular book, Astrid is very certain of her aims. I'm not sure that she's totally without conscience. There are moments where she's softer hmm. in a panel or two where you'll see her look. Uh, Killian is definitely someone who seems remorseless, and yet <laughs> there are those differences. So, as with most of Gail Simone's work, there are layers to all these people. So even, I, I know exactly what she's saying, and she's putting it out there, but she's giving everyone, it looks to me, as if they each have an out. Let me break this down for a second, just because we had this discussion before, and now we're having it again, and I got it before, and then I'm in foggy territory again today. But what we're trying to say is that the position that people within Astrid and her family, that they're in because of they know what they know, that they're above. They Well, they believe they're above. Right. A zealot feels that their belief trumps everyone else. They believe so fervently that no one else could possibly be right. And then they will take that and... And that justifies any action they might right. take. Including the dread proselytizing. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bob. Bob is torturing Steve with uh, giant, Pros complicated words. 
usually, <laughs> usually I'm okay. And usually after I hear a couple people speak, I can catch the thread. I don't know what is catching me up on this so much. Proselytizing <laughs> is... Uh, here's, here's a great example. The Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door with their brochures and try to get you to join their religion, go to their meetings. Okay. The Scientologists who sit at Penn Station with their tables and their devices... Come for a free reading and come do this. They're, they are trying to get you to join their religion, cult, organization. That is proselytizing. I was once offered a job by a Scientologist when I was in California. Were you going to stuff the aliens back in the volcano? I don't know. Okay. I wasn't going to take them up on it, though. Okay. That was, uh, we had a very long discussion about that John Travolta movie. That was at Battle, Battlefield Earth. Battlefield Earth. And uh, I was just like... I got to go to the Chinese theater, friend, or the In-N-Out Burger, or just somewhere, <laughs> somewhere other than here, here, so I'll see you. <laughs> I need to be somewhere not here. Yes. Uh, Bronwyn, what do you think of the question? I went, um, yeah, I went in a, a slightly a different direction. I, I, my thought as soon as I read this this question was actually of Astrid's father and, and the first page in the very, uh, the very first issue um, where when Astrid's a small child and she's asking her father why they go to church. And he says to keep the devil away. And I wondered if perhaps there was a little bit of foreshadowing there. And if there was potentially something related to the church and, and maybe something related between the church and the entities and their mm. um, relationship that way, if maybe the, you know, the, the entities are there because of the church or because of the, or, you know, if maybe her father was, sort of being ridden by the entities because of his zealotry or anything in that regard. I don't know. We don't know that much about her father, so maybe I'm reaching a little bit here, but that's, no. that's kind of where I went on that one. No, you know, it's funny. Uh, I did not I, I did not pose this question for, for the first recording. i got to stop referencing the first recording. Um, <laughs> but That was that, an alternate timeline. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, when I was reading I the book, uh, the, the final time, that line really stuck out to me, even before uh, Bronwyn brought it to the table. And I was kind of questioning because like now now that I'm reading it again, I'm looking at every character and I'm suspicious of every character. Right. And especially the people that are related to Astrid, because we do not get to know very much about them. And when the father says turns to her and says to keep the devil away, I'm wondering if part of his like church going ways are related to the entities that possibly the father sees them as well or somehow connected and or responsible to them and that their way of going to church is to almost like pray them away or if they're coming from above which is where the canon is eventually aimed does that have something to do with it too are is is what is above not necessarily what we think it is well isn't what's the title of the one issue uh issue you have to wait a while but issue nine <laughs> the title yeah. of, the title of the story in issue nine is hell above us and heaven below actually is referenced in the first six that we talk about you know with the mr way and his uh ambulatory conceit where he he only allows himself a certain number of steps a day because he doesn't want to walk on the angels yeah well we've all had remember when you're kids you can't step on the green tiles because they're made of lava (laughs) yeah yep only step on the gray ones in between as we go ahead melissa uh, I was gonna say I thought when I, when I read this quote from her, um, "Zealotry is the death of conscience." I thought I could see it just all over the book. It made so much sense to me. Like you can see it in 
the followers like um i can't remember chloe's fiance's name philip philip right like he just takes a it's just such a fast process between being a kind of like you know casual follower reading her book and then a couple days later he's shooting himself and it just with no regard to his family or to his fiance or what you know what he's leaving behind and i think that it applies to astrid's um rooks and how much zealots they are that they they seem to have had some death of conscience in the way that they treat the people that get in their way. Yeah. Um, I think you can see it in all the characters. It's kind of, she just showing it to us from every angle. You can certainly see it in Capone when she's right. talking to uh, the actress in the hot tub and, and the actress says my, my fiance. And she says, he'll have to go. He's honest and therefore no mm-hmm. good, good to us. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. At this point, I have to ask if Bob intentionally wore the same shirt to this recording to make me feel like I was gone back in time. No, I, I wore the same shirt, even though it has, it has been washed in between, just in case we were do, showing video again. And then if we were going to try to pretend it was the same recording. I try, considered it. I'm not going to lie. Try to recreate the magic. Yeah. I even shaved, which I don't normally Aww. do on a Sunday. I did too, and I took a little bit too much <laughs> off the beard, and now it's all sad. Aww. But it'll be okay by the time that I come out to visit you on Friday. I promise. Good. Uh, excellent. All right. Well, uh, regardless of the fact that we're starting again, I feel like we've uh, we've covered most of the big ticket questions. Let's move on to something fun. Um, let's talk about how cool that headquarters that headquarters is. Uh, what are your favorite aspects? of it uh what do you think it says about astrid and the honest world foundation and what is it trying to say hmm i think it wants to be a regular office building in downtown chicago (laughs) it's just sort of hanging out in the middle of of the city and everyone knows what it is and it could be gail's comment on scientology where they have their celebrity retreats that look like fabulous hotels that who knows what is going on behind there all their leveling up and all their, their craziness (laughs) <laughs> so the fact that there are special little offices and tea rooms and all the rest of it that front massive technology and, and the controls for sky cannons and all sorts of other things, <laughs> it is it is a, a lovely false front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is an interesting phrase, to be honest, because... I think that can be applied in a lot of ways to the entire organization. Mm. A lovely false front. Mm. Nicely played. <laughs> nice return, of, nice return of serve. And knock them down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in what the idea behind the whole false office is. I thought that that seemed a little unnecessarily <laughs> unnecessary and kind of overthought. And I also think that they should have a giant shark tank in that place somewhere. Oh, in, yes. In the floor, right? In the floor. <laughs> yeah. Look down, see the great whites with little laser beams on their heads. Yeah, and you just it, it would be nice if it was kind of inconspicuous. So, you know, then then Astrid could not point point it out to her guest until she decides that she doesn't like them and wants them to feel uncomfortable. And then she could kind of just, you know Right. Stare at the floor for a moment. They'd probably be like weird weird like demon sharks in there too. <laughs> she could probably have like little like pheromone uh aerosols built into the walls 
that she could then like put a little tuft of air and the great white will try and smash through the, the floor. Hmm. Oh my gosh. That'd be pretty cool. Well, scent is a big part of this series. She wears that special <laughs> perfume. It's true. It's true. Um, I think about maybe something like a giant squid would be more appropriate for her than sharks. Some, something tentacled and... Cthuloid. And highly, highly intelligent. Yeah. Cephalopods are known for their intelligence. I want a commissioned artwork of Astrid riding a megalodon. <laughs> that would be I sense a Katie Cook in the future. Oh my <laughs> god, that would be so cool. Um, so yeah, for me, as far as the, the headquarters goes, uh, I really loved how spacious it was. I love the, the, the giant, tall, vaulted ceilings. Uh, you got to give it up for the moat. I mean, uh, yes. seriously, if, if I could put anything around my apartment, it would be a moat. It, maybe it could uh, separate me from the kickboxing studio that's downstairs <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I love I love the cleanliness of it. I think it is a little bizarre in that there are so many aspects of the headquarters that I don't understand. And I understand that like I've only read the first six issues, so I haven't really gotten to spend a whole lot of time outside of the fake uh, office or the clean room itself. But one of the more fascinating places I think about it is the control room. And, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about the level of control that Mr. Raven has, who is kind of her, uh, con- her, her conductor or the orchestrator, the person that carries out her command and just oversees, uh, I guess the cleanliness of the clean room, the goings on in it, that should there be an emergency that he intervenes and gets, you know, gets them out and stuff like that. Although Astrid seems to push the boundaries of that quite often. And, um, but I don't, he, he has like, controls for the, for the rooms specifically the clean room that it's like the the wizard from the wizard of oz with like uh pay no attention to the asteroid behind the curtain <laughs> where he says at one point like when she walks into the room i want there to be like i want the doors to force themselves open just a little bit harder i want there to be a whoosh of air i want there to be a clanging noise when she walks in i want him to know that she's entered the room for certain and um it, it all lends to that like smoke and mirrors thing of making her appear as as a larger than life person, you know, in addition to her personality. It is still her control, but he definitely is the orchestrator. That's the perfect word. Yeah, mm-hmm. but she's definitely the conductor. Like she, she has the she's pulling all the strings, right? You know, but that moat, that moat. <laughs> Seriously, I love that moat. Like, I can picture myself working in that office, like somewhere. I'd be just, you know, like a peon somewhere, I'm sure. But every lunch hour, I'd be doing laps in that moat. Like, that's <laughs> that's amazing. Like, <laughs> you just put a chair down there with an intercom and a phone. Yeah. Conduct all the business from there. It's like just send them to the pool. Like, I can just see it. You know, like that's 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 the exercise that, you know, like Killian and Capone, that's where they, you know, that's where they swim. <laughs> uh, they'd both probably swim with the sharks that's and true. not even have to worry about it. <laughs> they are the sharks. Yeah. Play yeah. them like dolphins. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. Seriously, who puts a moat, a freaking moat? I love it. Oh, my God. Is it just Talk a straight line? Feet. Like is it just a river or is it was it circular? Have you seen oh, the rest of it? And any of the if it's a moat, it's it's circular, right? Like that's got to be it. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
so. An indoor oh, one, though? Sure, why not? Yeah. You could circulate the water around. Yep. I guess. All right. I'm sure she knows a little she have bit a more about bridge? it than I do. That's the big question. Um, oh, that was the other uh, thing yeah. about the uh, <laughs> about the the headquarters before we move on really quick. Um, the furniture. Yeah. The only comfortable bit of furniture to from what I got in the entire place is Astrid's chair behind the fake desk. Everything else looks really hard, kind of like that room in the big house where like you go to your friend's place and they've got a little bit of money and then you pass that room where it's like, yo, like what's in here? Like, Oh, we don't, we don't, sit we don't, there. we don't sit in there. We don't do anything. There's a piano. There's a like couple of, you know, vases that are really nice and whatever Fabergé egg, baby. And <laughs> just these like super uncomfortable, hard buttoned couches. And that room never gets used. They don't even use it for Christmas. So it's, it's the, Dominance of business. Mm. I guy... think it's interesting, though, that Klaus was in the fake office. Yeah, the bear. He's got to be everywhere. The bear. Right? Well, I told you, I think the is. bear's behind the whole thing. Right? Okay, so let's, what is the deal with the teddy bear? <laughs> I think the bear is the, is the alien creature leader. Right? And she's just, <laughs> she's just covering for the bear. Like, was he really talking to her as a child? Is yep. he talking to her now? You know? Like... You You're going to find out when this is all over that Astrid is just the rook for Klaus. <laughs> well, you know, like, this, is, this is my theory. You know, they uh, they talk about the entities being the inmates. Like, that's specifically mentioned. Mm-hmm. He says we're inmates. And inmates have jailers. Da, da, da. So maybe Astrid is just the uh, the warden? Exactly. Or Ooh. no, maybe, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, Klaus is the judge and jury. <laughs> Do we know Ken Lotso? He's the, he's the yeah. Lotso of the clean room. Lotso hugging bear. <laughs> Do we know if the entities can only possess human hosts? Can they go into other things? I don't recall seeing anything different I don't think yet. That's been There's no on, like yeah. entity refrigerator. Or like <laughs> no. But we don't know. We don't little, know. Little, I, I don't know. Little Ghostbusters we, action. Dead, dead and alive. So okay. If that's the but... case, then we know what to blame our technology problems on, right? Yes. Yes. I just, I have, when it comes to Klaus, I think that that whole thing about what the Bears deal really is, it wouldn't bother me so much if it wasn't such a, like, almost like a centerpiece for Astrid's character. Because you see it a lot at the beginning, especially that cold black eye of his that they zoom in on. I don't know if that's just for dramatic effect or if he's, like, bearing witness to, like, almost losing his warden, so to speak. If that is indeed the the case. It also could be that it's just Astrid at her heart may still be the scared little girl who got run over. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. That was a, that was a listener question. Really? (laughs) It was, it was, I should actually bring those up for later. Does, uh, did anybody have a favorite toy, like a Klaus of their own that they uh, brought with them through childhood? Well, I, I am not much of a stuffed animal person, but I would, there, there's a movie just coming out about trolls. And I had, when they were the oh, no. hot, hot new thing <laughs> in the early 60s, that oh. came with all sorts of different hair and all sorts of little different faces. And my mom, being a very crafty person, would make me little, as she did for my G.I. Joe's and Captain Action Doll superhero outfits, where she made them for the trolls, too. So I had a little Thor troll, for instance. 
I want a Thor troll so bad. <laughs> <laughs> mine, mine were all given away as I got older. They all went to the children's ward of uh, the Huntington Hospital back when I was a like Aww. a teenager. Uh, so they they went somewhere. Lovely. They went to a lovely home. Yeah, that's Inclu- fantastic. Including their little troll bed that my father made. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Melissa, how about you? I don't have a favorite doll, but I have um, or toy, but I have a lion that I got. I don't, I'm not going to say when. It was some point when I was a teenager. Actually, I don't <laughs> think I was a child. Um, so my, I think my mom gave it to me, and, and at that time I was a, a an early budding hairstylist, so I did shave his big lion's mane into a mohawk. So he's got a weird like lion mohawk now. Add a girl, um, and my son has him now in his room. He's a Aww. stuffed lion called Leo. And he always reminds me of a dog that I had because his nose is chewed off and sewn back together. So I had a dog who was with me for 16 years who ate that nose when he was a pup when she was a puppy. Oh no! Aww. Yeah, that's kind of amazing though. Like the so. sense of connection, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, because the dog's not you know not with me anymore, but um, she's she's passed on. But you know, it reminds me of like a long time ago because she was a little puppy when I got that thing. Yeah. And, yeah. That's so cute. No. And, it's, and now you know, Max. It's got that like old stuffed animal thing, you know, where the hair is like really flattened out and kind of squished down. <laughs> All <out>. matted. <laughs> yep. Yeah, from yep. like years of sleeping on top of it. And... <laughs> yep. Yep. That's like that's like mine. We have. Uh, it's actually a a communal teddy bear because uh, it it was uh, belonging to me and all my siblings. Um, when I got I got him when I was a baby. His name was Teddy Bear. <laughs> very very creative, of course. <laughs> my dog's name is Dog. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like uh, <laughs> the Princess Bride, and she was not long on imagination, for she named her horse Horse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was a baby, okay, so, you know. Yeah. Um, and when I was four, my brother came along, and so he inherited my teddy bear. I gave it to him, and so he had he had teddy bear, he had, and so Teddy continued to be Teddy. And then, uh, you know, many years later, my sister came along, or, and... Um, Ian gave teddy bear to uh, to Margie, and so he just continued to be passed along through the siblings. And but Margie was not content with teddy bear just being Teddy, so he became Tedward, <laughs> and has been Tedward since. So Tedward is still living with Margie in our old family home, and is just waiting for the next generation of little Kellys to come along to belong to but has the matted fur of being slept on by any number of us <laughs> <laughs> so yeah he's uh in remarkably good condition for a you know nearly 40 year old teddy bear but uh <laughs> oh the stories tedward could weave yes right? exactly he should have his own series i'm thinking <laughs> <laughs> a netflix show yeah <laughs> toy story the secret years the, te- oh, the tedward files yeah. <laughs> I just good, hear good I just hear Bronwyn one day like telling her child, you know, when I was a when I was little, I only had one teddy bear that I had to share between my entire family. <laughs> our we forty didn't mile get our walk own to toys. school. Yeah. yeah, uphill both ways. <laughs> Back in my day, we all had one stuffed animal, and everyone in the neighborhood had to share it. <laughs> a community stuffed animal yeah. <laughs> your kids get off my lawn i got it once a month on a tuesday 
<laughs> Better than Thursday, though. Never did get the hang of those. <laughs> oh. So, um, okay, so I guess, I guess I should talk about my uh, stuffed animal. Absolutely. So here's the deal with mine. Mine is a little tiger cub that is wearing a green T-shirt that says, I'm a little toughy on it. <laughs> so his name is Tuffy the Tiger. Damn it. And he's got a, like, cotton head, regular stuffed animal. But then if you squish his bottom or his body, it's made of, like, thick bean bag, bean material. So he's kind of half child stress reliever, half snuggly lion, uh, tiger dude, and all <laughs> awesome. Uh, the thing is that... that he sticks out in my mind and he's super special to me is because uh, I was telling you guys this the other night. I have a very strange way of remembering things from childhood. And I remember I, I got that, that tiger uh, during my first open heart surgery, which was about three months old. And it was given to me by my mother's mother, who was my Nana. And I remember getting it. I remember all the other gifts, my, my tender heart uh, care bear that my grandmother gave to me that's in the other room. That was that day. Uh, I could tell you what the hospital room looked like. Now, I don't know if it's a legitimate memory because they do say that traumatic, traumatic events have a habit of sticking with you. I don't know if something could stick with you at three months old. But being in a hospital and having surgery and, and waking up from it and getting gifts could be something that has stuck with me. Or I have... From time to time, I have reoccurring dreams that I've been having ever since childhood that if maybe I've dreamed or dreamt this so much over time that it just feels like a memory, things start to get a little it's muddled. It's a deja vu sort of thing. Yeah. 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 You know, like you've, you've seen it in your mind's eye so many times that you've, you've convinced yourself that this is, this is the true story. This is the way the room looked. This is who came to visit on that day and where they stood around the bed. But, like, it's like it happened this morning. Like, even from the other day, I, I, still, I still feel that way. I still could tell you everything about that, uh, that afternoon when everybody came to visit. But, um, yeah, that little guy brings back a lot of good memories uh, for me. He's been around forever. Some stuffed animals have come and gone. I have a basement probably filled with them that are going to have to go when I start packing. That is going to be the most excruciating part of packing up all my stuff because I, they just, they don't need to come with me. You know, I'll bring Tuffy. You have nieces though. So it'll be lovely. They'll be they'll get yeah. a lovely family heirloom. And I've got enough Funko figures to feed an army. So <laughs> those have kind or to of... share a few with your friends. Exactly. Hey, Hey, <laughs> I'm already mailing your kids some action figures, all right? Like me. You. <laughs> Where's my action figures, man? We should make a Melissa Megan action figure with the Kung Fu grip. And scissors. Oh. And scissors, yeah. <laughs> Hairstylist Melissa. an action figure of me. I meant action figures for me. <laughs> I don't know. I think an action figure of you is exactly what the yeah. world needs. <laughs> Mad Megan. Have a glass of wine in one hand and a pair of scissors in the exactly. other. Exactly. <laughs> Hells yes. Full body armor with Edward scissor hands, Melissa scissor hands, gloves to go over. And you're oh my God, out on the battlefield making everybody look good right before you kill them. Somebody, just, somebody out there, make this happen. This Seriously. is going off the rails now. Right. And, oh, and your cape God. is actually in the apron. It's a salon apron tied back to you. <laughs> 
trim those mutton chops before you go? Oh, goodness. All right. Okay, moving right along. So I think we need to uh, to do a little shout-out to John Davis Hunt. Uh, he notes about his art design that he is a quote. Um, I wanted the horror elements to be able to seep into the daylight. So I did a lot of research on clinical environments, scientific research centers, and also a lot of botanical and insect reference. So shout out to John Davis Hunt for research because he did an amazing job. And uh, that is incredible. I, from, from a, my perspective, people don't do enough research. So I, I really appreciated that. Um, what insect would your worst nightmare be based on if he designed a new demon for you bob well i'm very skittish about things with lots of legs Ugh. yeah so once we're <laughs> too into, many legs yeah centipedes <laughs> and millipedes and things like that particularly mm -hmm. when they start to get big antennae on top of it Whoa. it's yeah not uh not a fan i i can deal with the six and the eight i don't mind spiders much as long as they do their jobs but no Flat things with a hundred legs go away. Just, just go away. Shudder, shudder. Melissa, how do you feel? Because I, I feel like I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> spiders, definitely spiders. Um, anything with over eight legs, I'm not okay with really. But except, oh, well, I don't know. No, yeah, no, nothing over eight <laughs> legs. <laughs> I was trying to think for a minute if there's something that was okay. But... <laughs> eight legs and up, out. <laughs> A squid, an octopus. No, actually, that's what came to my mind. But I thought, well, tentacles don't count. Those are okay. Legs are not okay. <laughs> Cthulhu uh, would be fly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, definitely spiders, I think. Uh, they. I'm a strict vegetarian, and I don't wear leather, and I don't kill anything. But I will kill every spider that comes in. Like, <laughs> If I find it in my house, it's dying. That's it. Because Aww. I just assume that it's been sent here to poison all of us. <laughs> that's it i can't sleep if i know there's one in the house i can't i can't eat if there's one on the ceiling uh see for me yeah. if, if a spider trespasses yeah you know, it comes down from the ceiling while i'm in the bathroom or if i'm <laughs> you know in the mirror shaving it's like no you're you're dead you're crushed you're going down the drain in a tissue mm -hmm. if you're in the living room, it's okay. I'll pick you up in a, on a piece of paper and I'll put you outside and go eat some bugs. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, I'm okay. I'm okay with spiders for the most part. They don't really, they don't really bother me all so much. If you're up in a corner and you're doing your thing and it looks like you're you're making home and you're catching some stuff, we're good. And and I do the thing where like, you take the little piece of paper yeah. and you take a thing and you just you know gently. Although sometimes I must admit that it didn't always work out the best. Like I go to be very ginger with them, and they decide to move at the last minute, and I take one of their legs as I'm trying oh. to get them on the paper, and then I put them outside, oh. and they're not moving. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I should probably just kill you because now you're you're damaged. And You'll but Pamela um, hunt successfully. Sure. Yeah, but see, I have a rule. I. I I'm cool with with bugs being in my vicinity, with the exception of you don't fly in my face ever. If you fly in my face, you're done. Like if you're getting on the TV, whatever, I will scoop you up and I'll put you outside. But if you get in my face or if you start floating around a light and you're landing on it and your wings are beating on it and you're constantly making these inconsistent little noises, 
inconsistent noises. Oh, he can't handle inconsistent noises. It's the if funniest it, thing. If you're not making a good steady rhythm with the sound of your wings. Listen, listen, you're, you're listen. I'm going to derail us. Just, it's hysterical. I'm going to derail us just for one second. <laughs> Let me just tell this quick story. So for about the first, what would you say, two and a half years of our relationship? Uh, yeah. Okay. So for the first two and a half years of our relationship, I'm I'm at Bronwyn's. I'm staying. We're sleeping. Whatever. She has a ceiling fan in her kitchen that is quite. It, it was quite wobbly for a time, and it would make this inconsistent clicking noise in the blade somewhere inside of the mechanism where it's turning. Right. And oh my god, it would drive me insane so much to the point where i would go and she has very heavy doors to her bedroom that i would push it shut just enough that the cat could get in but it would kind of drown out the inconsistent clicking and that's what we used to do and then one night we're just we're we're laying in bed we're going to sleep and the door is wide open and i just all of a sudden i'm like do you hear that she goes what i went nothing she goes what am i listening for i said it's nothing it stopped and I think it was like Christmas or it was my birthday. It was some kind of an occasion that we yeah. were, we had just finished celebrating. And I was like, oh, my God, like the universe is giving me a Christmas <laughs> gift. It's and it it came back one time after that and then has ceased to be. Uh, yeah, because we had done something to the ceiling fan previously, like my dad and I had, I don't know, cleaned it. So we'd had to take it apart a little bit to to clean it or change the light bulb or something and when we put put it back together it, it didn't click anymore <laughs> oh man but i can't i can't or when somebody's like tapping music and they're tapping off rhythm and i don't want to like i don't want to ruin their good time but oh my god <laughs> okay uh for me as far as bugs are concerned it's gotta be millipedes like bob was saying the the many legs the length and I've in my day, I've seen some pretty horrific uh, comic book art involving insects and just giant mutated things. And every time that the millipedes come up, even the uh, even the truck at the very beginning of, of the volume that's coming after Astrid has this like multi-legged, multi-shelled, uh, extended thing going on for it that's... Uh, Really quite creepy. And quite frankly, the first thing in the book that really kind of made me sit up in my chair and alarmed me, there's just something so uh, inherently creepy and horrific about uh, the art in this book. Yeah, look at that thing. That thing is nasty. <laughs> it's like a leech or something. Yeah, look at those, those teeth, teeth and that long tongue. That tongue is actually the same tongue that shows up later when Chloe is in uh, talking with Killian. Yeah. Interestingly enough. Um, but yeah, mill millipedes and or anything that stings. Uh, I There's a YouTube guy going around. He's kind of like the Steve Irwin of insects on the Internet. And he's been going around catching the most painful stinging bugs on the planet and purposefully stinging himself with them. So well, look how it worked out for Steve Irwin. Right. <laughs> So the last video that I saw, the guy had captured the second most painful sting on the planet and uh, stung, hold, held them with clippers or tongs or whatever. And then just like 
smushed the thing's face into his arm and it stung him and the pain only lasts for five minutes but he said the five minutes was like an eternity and he's down on the ground in the middle of the desert just like you know doing like Lama's breathing trying to survive and his whole arm is is puffing up into this red mess and uh, yeah I mean like he put it back in the jar and you can hear the wings beating up against the glass and it just he's like rainbow iridescent wings and this giant stinger that's like two and a half inches long Blech. Uh, no yuck uh, for me I'm with you on the, like the millipede centipede thing like for me silverfish oh, yeah. I don't like them that, that would be it but I, even above and beyond that if you're making a demon out of a insect, it, oh god, earwig. Yeah, well, an earwig. <laughs> I can't. Oh god. Oh, oh, no, not okay. There's something sort of like, oh, I don't know, prehistoric about earwigs. They look, they look like they have never evolved. Ooh. You know, like there's there's something. They're straight out of the dark ages. Like they're just. They're horrifying to me. I don't, I, you know, and I, like, I really, I don't have a problem with most bugs. Like, I like beetles. I think they're kind of beautiful. I don't mind spiders. I'll leave, I don't even mind them in the house because as far as I'm concerned, they're eating the other bugs. Um, so, you know, I'm like, yep, dude, I'm with you on the face. Like, don't invade my personal space. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't get up in my face. But other than that, I don't really care. Um, I, I'm happy to share my space with a spider. That's fine. It's all good. But. I don't like the squidgy little too fast moving too many legs. And I really, really, really don't like the pincers on the Yo. earwigs. Yeah, what, oh, what, God. Yeah, what evolutionary advantage is having butt pincers? Right? <laughs> butt pincers. Not okay. <laughs> I'm looking at uh, an image of an earwig right now. And I had always thought uh, that they looked a little bit more like maggots. But now I'm seeing that they totally do not in no. any way, shape, or form. No, no, no. no. Do you guys know what a common like house centipede looks like? Yes. Where their legs almost look like very like thin and like kind of fluttery. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. we have them in our store. We've got lots of them in the basement. Yeah, I um I lived in a house for a short time where we found them around a lot for some reason. And if I can tell you a really short, quick, terrifying story, have you guys <laughs> ever had an experience where you're in bed sleeping and like something wakes you up and it might be like you feel something on your face, you feel something oh. weird and you wake up. Mm-hmm. And I had one of those moments one night where I woke up startled out of sleep and I could feel something like m- touching or moving on my face. And I just sort of did this like quick, like half, half asleep, like grabbed, like g- grabbed at it and kind of flung it away from me Ugh. in Ugh, my sleep. And I had no idea what it was. And I was laying there and I'm in the dark. And I'm like, I suddenly pick up my phone and I'm trying to look around without turning the light on because my husband's sleeping and trying to see and I don't find anything. So I go back to sleep and I wake up in the morning and yeah, there was a centipede that had been like torn into pieces on the side of the bed where I grabbed it with my hand. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. It was apparently like on my face. So I woke up and found all these little legs scattered all around the side oh. of the bed. <laughs> the worst is when you feel like you feel a bug in your hair. Or you go to like, like you run your hands through your hair, and instead of you actually like flicking it out, it latches onto your finger and starts crawling around on your hand before what? you can like whip it off. Oh no! I don't think I've ever experienced no. that Not either. Oh, I have a <laughs> couple of okay. creepy stories. Oh, okay. If we're talking centipedes, oh. you have to go to YouTube and look up giant centipedes. 
because mm-hmm. there's an entire run of videos of giant centipede versus because a giant <laughs> centipede can be about a, it could be about a foot long. Their normal prey are other bugs, but even small mammals. So it can it can oh. eat and consume a rat, a mouse, all sorts of things. And they're pretty vicious. They basically liquefy their prey with some sort of venom and just uh, just suck them dry. Well, they're, they're, hey, they're sort of like the bugs in Starship Troopers. Oh, God. Oh, my God. That, there was a stilled image on the Internet the other day that I could not figure out for the life of me where it was from, and you just gave me my answer. It was from Starship Troopers. Uh, didn't you... I think as horrific as this conversation is, it's and it's certainly appropriate <laughs> to yeah. the book material, maybe we should uh, rein it back in and move on to listener reactions. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure, we could do that. Yeah, probably creep everybody out, just turn it off. Well, this book is going to creep them out, too. That's have to tell you. You'll be thrilled to have been creeped out, but it's creepy. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so really quick, just humor me for a second. We had a, uh, a first-time commenter uh i believe this came from uh gail simone's camp which is awesome and uh i don't know i don't remember if we said it last time but if we didn't uh if you're listening gail and uh john thank you so so much for all of the retweets that you guys have done uh for this little show yeah it's been tremendous like every every time and maybe maybe sometimes i do it a little bit too much but i just you know the exposure helps and we always look to put on a really good show and we're always very proud of of what we uh, come up with but uh so we got this tweet from uh jenny keller number one number one sorry jenny keller num- oh my god i can't stop saying the word number just one <laughs> uh, jenny keller one yes <laughs> so we i had sent out a tweet of like the setup that bob and i have here with uh, our drinks and our our background and in in the background of the photo you can see chewbacca and alf uh my stuffed toys uh hanging out on the couch and so jenny says uh you had alf and mini chewbacca on the podcast as well i'm so there with a winky face so chewbacca is kind of here um we're gonna get him to say a little something into the microphone for you right now <laughs> The last two Absolutely are so well said, Chewie. <laughs> the last two are so they sound so pathetic. I love them. <laughs> so um, okay, so getting into listener reactions, Bob, you had mentioned something before about scared little girl, and that actually came from uh, Geek Country Lady, who is Sarah Scary Smiles on Twitter. Uh, Does anyone else see Astrid as a scared little girl who doesn't understand what is happening but acts her way through it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably where I got this from, and subconsciously yeah. didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sarah. Anybody else? I don't think she is now, but I think we may see that aspect of her as things get um, more heated. Mm-hmm. You've I read, haven't... you've read ahead as I have. You mix. <laughs> I have, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there's ever? Oh, wait, I already admitted that I did. Yes. <laughs> Pants on fire. <laughs> Do you think there's ever a point where she wishes that she didn't see any of this? That that this wasn't her life. I would assume so. I, there have to be moments of weakness, but I yeah. think as a zealot, she believes in her mission. Mm. And you know what? And honestly, I don't know. I think Astrid strikes me as a pragmatist a lot of the time. And I don't know that there's a lot of value add in sort of 
wishing things were different. So while every now and then we have moments of weakness, she's a lot of things, but weak is not necessarily one of them, you know? So I don't think she spends a lot of time Mm -hmm. wishing things were different. I, I definitely think she started off as a scared little girl and I can see shadows of that in her but i'm not sure she's there anymore and there are those moments though where she'll uh, chloe has a uh it's issue six has a ceremony for philip you know a a burial and chloe and astrid are sharing words and and astrid's line is would you would you like a hug yeah and then she (laughs) she she assigns killian to go hug her I love that. She says, yes, I would like a hug. Killian, please hug Miss Pierce. <laughs> so, so she may still be that little girl inside, but she's she's grown a hard shell, speaking of insects. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> she has a soft, gooey center. I've got to get those. I'm sure she issues. doesn't, actually. <laughs> Uh, so moving right along, we have uh, from Razor Edge 757 who is at Robert Caulfield on Twitter. Uh, it says, I was surprised that Gail Simone was doing a straight-up horror book, but it's amazing. Uh, then he tweeted us again saying, Honestly, I didn't like the protagonist in the first issue, but by the last, I was hooked. And it was because of Astrid. So nice turnaround uh, mm. on that. Yeah, sometimes you... That's kind of why I feel bad after like reading like a number one issue that doesn't really jive with me. And then just not bothering with that series that sometimes it takes a little bit for mm-hmm. things to warm up. But mm-hmm. at the rate in which we purchase and read books, some stuff, I guess, has got to be it's like a, that. And it's, you know, if you, don't, if you don't like it, you don't like it. And sometimes yeah. you come back after it's found a rhythm and reading it as a whole changes yeah. that perception. Yeah, I think we'll, uh, yeah. we'll probably talk a little bit about that on the next Talking Comics podcast with a certain book that's part of my lightning round. Hmm, mm, what could that be? Hmm. Um, so we've also got, I'm sorry, I'm very punchy. We've got stuff from Chris McLean, who is CJM Clean on Twitter. And he says, I would have liked a bit of more explanation on what's actually going on by the end of the volume. And he also says, I enjoyed it. The art is fantastic. Good characters and setting, but a little too lost, unexplained mystery for my tastes. A little too lost, meaning the TV show. Okay, I didn't catch that the first time. Okay, so unexplained mystery for my tastes. Uh, I'll just jump in really quick. I think we t- uh, we talked about how, or, or the idea of creators being on a book and staying on a book and having a plan. That if you know that this is the creative team because this is a, a creator-owned uh, idea and this is, this is the team for it, they have an end game, right? Gail knows at least some of the details as to how this is going to end and when that they pace these things out for a reason. Uh, Gail also, in my experience, is a creator writer that you can trust to tie up the loose ends by the end of a run. And in the case of Clean Room, I really, really enjoy that after six issues that I do have so many things to riff off of and play with and sink my teeth into knowing that there's a whole other six issues that I haven't even read yet, that I'll probably get some of my answers and that I'll have new questions. You'll have a whole other set of questions. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I understand the wanting to have 
some answers. Um, I, I get that, like I, I totally do. But I think for me in this case that I'm more satisfied by having this air of mystery than I am feeling bereft for not having any answers. Like I just, there are so many things that follow set patterns and that's not a critique. I, I like things that follow patterns as well. Um, but this is so outside of that mold that it's very refreshing for me. So um, while I totally understand the, the wanting the more answers from me for solely just my perspective, I really, really am enjoying the, I did not see that coming. <laughs> I think that's why not all of us are great storytellers, right? Because yeah. it's a careful balance of giving enough material to keep someone interested and, and hanging on and, and wanting to turn the next page and buy the next book, but also giving, not giving away so much that you, you feel like the story is predictable too early on and like, you know, what's going to happen and you kind of drift off exactly from the story. Well, here the, you've got the wonderful flashback structure where answers are sort of filled in, but the pages that follow the flashback sometimes twist it on its head as to, well, mm -hmm. how, how did that person react in that way exactly with that as a backstory? Yep. What is the other piece of this puzzle that we haven't seen yet that completes this equation somehow? Yeah. I like it. I, I, I really... I, I'm pretty sure I, I went through this in the first recording, but like I, one of my favorite things about this book is the mystery of it and not having all of those answers. I like open-ended things to a point, but I do, I do enjoy being able to play with it until I'm able to purchase the rest of the issues and catch up. I've really been enjoying kind of these, like these weeks of the not knowing, you know? And, uh, I've actually been able to exercise some patience, but no longer because uh, <laughs> as, as soon as this is over, as soon as this is over, those, those issues are getting purchased because we need them. And Bronwyn, yes. I don't, don't, he's, Rob's putting it under my nose. It's issue number seven. So cruel. And there's Klaus yeah. right on the cover of issue number See, seven. See, that's the part of Bob and nobody oh. knows. He's a mean old man. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, Bob, instead of being mean and teasing us with, future issues of clean room why don't you tease us with the idea for our next book well i had gone all over the map we had actually talked off air the last time as we were deciding <laughs> what to do here and Bronwyn, you had an idea that i said well I'll, I'll run with that one too and that was to do pretty deadly <laughs> okay I, I was i was down that road and i was mostly stuck to that but then in between having seen Greg Rucka at New York Comic Con and it being Wonder Woman's 75th birthday the other day said, oh, maybe mm -hmm. we should do his uh, Hecatea with J.G. Jones, wonderful painted original graphic novel. Amazing story. Then it was, oh, well, I know Steve had just picked up Marguerite Bennett's Insects. Yep. Which is another twisted piece of work. It's set in, <laughs> set in the Victorian age that's just absolutely brilliant. And I was down all this road and I went, you know, We've done a lot of somewhat dark stuff. And some people I also saw at the show, a book I've been championing on the Talking Comics show by Amy Reader, Brandon Monclair on the writing duties, and Natasha Bustos on art. It's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur from Marvel. And the first trade paperback collection is called BFF. It's issues one to six. It features 
this very, very smart fourth grader named Lunella Lafayette, who is teased at school because she is really smart. And she loves astronomy and things, and so they joke around and call her Moon Girl because she'll wear a shirt with a Mm -hmm. moon on it. She is straightforward. She's a, a regular little girl, not a comic book or TV or movie little girl, but who also has this massive intellect and a desperate fear that she is, she's carrying the inhuman gene and in all the things that are going on in the Marvel Universe, she's going to end up turned into some sort of giant creature or bug or something awful. Hmm. And she's struggling to build devices and do stuff to find a way to not have that happen. From the past comes a giant red dinosaur, and it actually has an old Marvel history because he's a Jack Kirby creation from mm-hmm. back in the huh. 70s, called Devil Dinosaur, who's a rather intelligent 30-foot-tall red T-Rex. <laughs> and they meet up, and and I'll just leave the, that as it as it's teased. There's adventure from the past. There's comedy. There's drama and human kindness and human unkindness because they're because <laughs> they're kids. Kids do kid stuff. Charming all ages book, one of the best ones on the stands, and I hope we'll all have some fun reading it. Absolutely, and we have a we actually have a record date for that now too. We are. Officially, November 18th? Yes. At 8.30 p.m. if we're doing this live. And for all you people who can't hear it live, well, sorry. You hear hear it on Monday, probably like the 21st of uh, And hopefully only one recording of it. (laughs) Fingers are officially crossed. (laughs) Otherwise, we'll be recording on Thanksgiving or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's it's the silliest thing because it was just... One of us got disconnected for like a nanosecond, and because that's the trigger for the recording process, it ended. And then when we hit it again without restarting the program, it just didn't take. And and unfortunately, we didn't realize until we were done. Now, well, let me run through something here that I think I did. I may have even done in the first half of this, but I don't remember anymore. If we're teasing things beyond yes. the fact that we have, as usual, a new Talking Comics episode about to get started. Mm -hmm. We had Melissa on Mara's Legendary Runs. Mm -hmm. And she has a new Sirens episode up, correct, this week? No? Uh, We're recording it tonight. Uh, I was close, see? (laughs) So listen for that. In just a couple hours. (laughs) Um, Excellent. Steve and I will be appearing Wednesday, New Comic Book Day, at Android's Amazing Comics in Sayville here on Long Island South Shore. If you're in the neighborhood at 7 o'clock, we'll be just chatting with Anthony and Jessica over there, as well as some of their customers playing some comic book Jeopardy, perhaps even a special guest or two. Ooh. The next evening at Escape Pod Comics in Huntington, our friend Carolyn Coca, her book Superwomen, she'll be doing a signing. Yeah. And Yay. we will be heading over that way, or at least we're going to try. I'll, I'll make it for a little bit, and then i got to go get Mom from the airport. There you go. Bring your mom back to, to Escape Pod. I don't know. They'll be closed. Yes, probably. <laughs> so busy, busy couple of weeks for everyone around here. Indeed. Exciting That's stuff. Exciting, exciting times. <laughs> at Ridgemont High. Yes. All right. Well, let's let everybody know where we can be found. Steve? Uh, if you want to reach me, the best way to do that is through Twitter. My handle is at dead underscore anchorus. Excellent. Bob? I talk to millipedes, so if you you know find one, just, just <laughs> send a message. <laughs> <along>. <laughs> 
Yeah, I have a, and a carrier pigeon? Yes, I have, I have a little <laughs> helmet, you know, with lots of legs on. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com is for the old-fashioned email. Excellent. Melissa? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lissa Punch, and you can also hear me on Sirens of Scream. Excellent. And you can find me at Shiny Baby B on Twitter, and you can find us all at Top Shelf Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at bookclub at talkingcomics.com, and we very much encourage you to do so. So we'll catch you when we move on to the next chapter of the Top Shelf Comic Book Club. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> we did it!